Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, November the 14th, 843-661-0937. Our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Got to think of a new name for Rev, at okay. least in the short term. Okay. I mean, the Royal Rev of Radio has established himself as a radio icon. Oh, yeah. That's right. But but I got to be fair weather. Fair weather. Dave doesn't Ooh. sound right. I'm leaving early. Dave doesn't sound right. Uh, <laughs> leaving early. Disloyal Dave. There you go. Oh. Disloyal Dave. Ooh. So from now until our bailout uh, Baker. Yeah, bailout Baker. There's another good one. Oh uh, yeah, hey, that's, Josh. That's a play on the. Uh, a that's a play on the old uh, bailout Barrett uh, when Gresham ran for governor and uh, voted for the bailout. That's what I was thinking. You want to tell you? I'm sure you were. You want to tell you a real quick story? First thing this morning. So when I was running for lieutenant governor, um, there was a star-studded field running for governor. You had Andre Bauer, Nikki Haley, Henry McMaster, Gresham Barrett, Larry Grooms. Um, I mean, the Grooms, I think, got out. Larry got out. He was a senator from Somerville or that area, the Wando area. Um, Larry gets out, and it's Gresham, a sitting Congress member, uh, Andre sitting lieutenant governor, Henry sitting AG, and Nikki um, was a disgruntled House member. So Gresham decides that he can't vote for the bailout. Remember TARP, Troubled Asset Relief Plan, and yep. the bailout of the auto industry and whatnot in 2000? Um, that would have been in nine. Yeah, that would have been, the world blows up eight, early nine. Uh, the election is in 10. And Gresham, I think, in, in early 09, voted for the bailout. He, he voted against the first bailout. They went back and refined it. And um, they the, the, the refining of the legislation didn't matter. The fact that Dick Cheney paid Gresham a visit, I think, is what um, encouraged him to be a supporter. I think Cheney might kill you. Um, anyway. <laughs> He's been known to shoot people. In, in his day, he shot the only trial lawyer that was um, a Republican supporter <laughs> at, a, uh, at a pheasant hunt in, uh, at a hunting reservation. But, um, but Gresham votes for the bailout. Gresham is a, a legitimate gubernatorial candidate i mean there's no doubt looked the part sounded the part had a resume to suggest he could be a perennial front runner in that race um but he was stuck with that vote i mean he had that vote so our good friend robert kahaley will deny this but i think he's being dishonest when he does deny it gresham gets up to speak at the big greenville gathering of republicans and when gresham begins addressing the crowd in that would have been in late 09, maybe early 2010. The crowd starts chanting, bail out Barrett, bail out Barrett, oh. bail out Barrett. <laughs> there happened to be about four or five cell phones there. Now, remember, this would have been 13 years ago, so the cell phones weren't as prevalent. I mean, they're there, but they're not like it is today. I mean, it's just nowhere near like it is today. Um, and I still believe that Robert Gahaley masterminded that. <laughs> I still believe that Kahaley paid somebody in the room to start the chant, bail out Barrett. And it's a little bit like um, the growth in Horry County. You're riding down a country road and there's a house sitting in a field. And you say to yourself, what fool would build a house in that field? And then you drive by two weeks later and there's two more houses under construction. And you say, there are two more fools building houses in that field. And about a year later, you ride by and say, I'm not going to be the only fool to not build a house in that field. <laughs> so when somebody started yelling, bail out Barrett, bail out Barrett, and somebody else started yelling, bail out Barrett, you got that, that mob mentality. I'm not going to be the only one standing here not yelling, bail, bail, bail out Barrett. And there were about two or three cell phones and Fitz News and a couple of other alternate media sites got their hands on it. 
And it really, I mean, everywhere we went after that, and by we, I mean, if the Greenville GOP is meeting, they're inviting all the gubernatorial and candidates for lieutenant governor. So we all heard each other spill over and over and over and over again. And when he would stand up to speak, he went from being a sitting member of Congress and probably the front runner in the race at that time. The races take a lot of twists and turns, and I'll accept that. But Gresham Barrett went from being a distinguished member of Congress and a front runner for governor of South Carolina to bail out Barrett. And he couldn't shake it. <laughs> so mission I mean, he, accomplished. I mean, he, just could, he could not shake it. He's the guy that voted for the bailout. He's the guy that voted for the big banks on Wall Street. And it was over. I mean, it, there, there was no way. I think Gresham may have ended up making the runoff. He and Nikki were in the runoff. Um, so he, I mean, despite that, but I still believe, and that's kind of an interesting twist of fate. I still believe there were two things that happened. And I had a front row seat at that. I saw Sarah Palin and the height of the Tea Party endorse Nikki Haley. And that was, I mean, you can look back on it and say, one of the most important moments in the South Carolina political history and I watched Gresham Barrett get labeled bailout Barrett. So, so when you really think about the trajectory of Nikki's career, the trajectory of, um, I think Gresham's working at a church, if I'm not mistaken. He was a person of faith and very, um, very public, kind of wore his faith on his, on his shirt sleeve. And I think he left Congress and got deeply involved in a church, one of these big mega church uh, churches in the, up, in the upstate, 843 Six, that's kind of an interesting sidebar. Now, Cahaley will deny it. I mean, Robert will say, you ready? I didn't have anything to do with that. I was polling. I didn't have anything to do with that. Okay. I, I know you well enough. So, somebody orchestrated that. Somebody was the mastermind. Truthfully, Robert probably spent 500 bucks. I mean, he gave Josh 20 bucks, Dave 20 bucks, um, some, some person with an iPhone when the iPhone was, you know, kind of the first of the iPhones. Hey, you filmed this. These two guys are going to stop yelling. Are they going to start chanting Bell out Barrett? We, we hope it gets kind of viral in that crowd, and it did. And everywhere Gresham went from their own, kind of the, uh, in the, in the, the party operative world, he was known as, um, as Bell out Barrett. <laughs> and, and as I said, Robert was like, I don't have anything to know about that. I don't know anything about that. I was polling. <laughs> I was polling. I, I, I didn't do that. Okay. Okay. Your impersonation. I, 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 I know how you roll. I know how you roll, my friend. And it had all the fingerprints of a Kahaley. Uh Is that a dirty political trick? I, are there, is there anything dirty? That's in politics? an interesting question. Is there anything dirty? All is fair in love and war. It's a zero sum game. Speaking of politics, um, we got a couple of um, nuggets of information yesterday regarding um, Rev and I enjoy night games at Williams Bryce. I think true. It's kind of an exciting place. Can confirm. They've got these lights now and yeah. they've, they've got this pregame 2001 in sandstorm and then the game starts and it ain't such a encouraging endeavor because um, they've had their issues this year. But as a Gamecock fan at about one o'clock on Monday, one of the most important <laughs> subjects you're waiting on is the announcement of the following week's game, not this Saturday, but the following week, news broke yesterday at about 1. I think my daughter texts Rev and told him, and he, in turn, um, texts me. Rev texts me, hey, 7.30, Clemson. I'm like, did Libby tell you that? I mean, did my daughter tell you that? Because you, you were about two and a half minutes behind her. Okay. I think she's got a bat phone. 
I mean, I think she's got a direct line. And, and I knew she probably had sent department. it to you already, but, you know, I saw it and I sent it to to you as soon as I got it. Well, I mean, the, the reason is, and, and I mean, I think this explains it rationally, they're charging you so much money to be a football fan today. I'm not a Clemson fan, but I hear from, from Tiger Faithful, man, it's gotten real expensive to be a, a Clemson fan. It's gotten real expensive to be a Gamecock fan. It's got extremely expensive to be a college football fan. They can't charge you that much to just be a football fan. You've got to make it. It's, it's entertainment dollars. I mean, these aren't football dollars any longer. These are entertainment dollars. And part of the entertainment experience is to tailgate. I mean, it's a lot of fun. And I've invested in a parking spot that I like. I went up there and looked around and found one uh, Rev knows How many times have I said this? End of the road under a tree near a bathroom. You know, there there are others that I could have had, but I mean, I found this one. It's, it's nice. near a bathroom. It's at the end of a row. You can kind of um, a little bit like the corner lot. It looks bigger than it really is. And we have a lot of friends and family that come by, especially when the weather turns cooler. And um, and a and a night game at home late in the season is always always um, uh, one of the grandest of occasions when it comes to tailgating. So we found out yesterday at about one o'clock. That not only is the Kentucky game this Saturday a night game in Williams-Brice, but next Saturday Clemson comes to town, and it is also a 7.30 affair on the SEC network. Now, I don't know what that's worth. I mean, to me, the fans believe there's a bigger home field advantage at Williams-Brice for a night game than there is a day game. I have no idea if the data bears that out. I mean, I don't know. Uh, how many times have the Gamecocks covered at home during the day? How many times have the Gamecocks covered at home uh, at night, I, I don't know that. I just know there's a sense that it's, it's a more exciting place to be at night after you, as they say in Baton Rouge, have had all day to get lathered up. They do that in Death Valley, both at Clemson and LSU. They do that as well in Williams-Brice. Um, but not only did we find out yesterday at about one that the Clemson-Carolina Palmetto Bowl, what a lame name for that. I mean, we got to do better than that, guys. We could actually start the movement Josh, on Wake Up Carolina to find a better name. I mean, I, I think about secession. I don't know why we, we've debated what the name of the game should. Palmetto Bowl is so generically <laughs> South Carolina. Um, the secession bowl. Secede. I mean, well, maybe we call it that. I mean, South Carolina and Texas have been most famous for. Give us half a chance to secede. Not succeed. Secede. And we'll take you up on it. It's almost like Bedlam. You know, the game uh, Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. That's just the coolest name, the Red River Rivalry. And then the the Iron Bowl. And then the Palmetto Bowl. Yeah. Everything in the damn state is named Palmetto. <laughs> it's such a lame name for a 120-year-old uh, football rivalry. It's secession. Uh, I just kind of like that. Uh, it's kind of like Bedlam. Anyway, anyway, so we find out um, late yesterday afternoon, the news began kind of stirring around in some of the rumor milling that there was a chance – uh, I read it on Twitter, called our buddy, um, Kahaley, who had nothing to do with that. I didn't have anything to do with that. Um, so I called Kahaley and I said, or I texted him, but I said, anything to this? He said, yeah. I mean, they, you know, they, they've got to move some things around and they've got to position and adjust, but yeah, there's a pretty good chance. And, uh, and I'm ready to go on the record. There's a better than, there's a better than not chance that Donald Trump is coming to the Carolina Clemson football game as a guest. I mean, they'll call it a guest of Henry McMaster. He's coming to antagonize Nikki Haley <laughs> is what he's doing. Nice. Tim Scott gets out of the race. Yep. So there's one South Carolinian now, you know, who's running for president of the United States. And um, it's probably 80-20 that really? Trump is moving some things around okay. and will be a guest and, and an attendee at the Carolina Clemson game. 
um, 7.30, williams Bryce. I don't know what he gets there. I think he went to the Iowa Iowa State game or one of the one of the football games out in Iowa. It's an important primary state, the caucus state uh, in January. So you've got Iowa, New Hampshire, and then South Carolina. And I mean, I, I guess he's coming to upstage Nikki Haley. And um, this will be kind of interesting to watch. Um, and I guess I'd be warned to some degree. I'm not an elected official. I am a political personality in the state. And, um, and I'm ready to endorse Trump. Uh, but there's no, no doubt in my mind. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, out of respect to Tim and our existing friendship, I just kind of stayed out of the way. I think most people knew that or, or know I'm an America firster. And if you're an America firster, why vote for the alternative when you've got the original item? You've got, um, you know, the real deal standing here, kind of the, um, uh, the godfather of America first, if you will. But, uh, but now that Tim gets out, I'll be interested to watch what some of these other Republicans do. I, I don't know many Republicans, in the, and I'm talking about in my world, and I'm sure there are a lot in another world, and I'm talking about consultant world, lobbying world, um, strategist world that wanted to give deference to Nikki, former governor, um, and still an influential South Carolinian in, in politics, but it'll be interesting. I think people liked Tim, and they wanted to give Tim the, the, the respect that as a fellow South Carolinian they felt they owed. Tim gets out. It'll be interesting to watch how many other South Carolina political personalities decide to get on the, uh, on the Trump train. There's some data out there now that shows Trump is a, a more prohibitive favorite than either DeSantis or Haley, despite what the New York Times Siena poll uh, may or may not have said. So, yeah, uh, Gamecocks Tigers 730 Saturday night in Williams-Brice. I got to believe Trump's a Clemson fan. Why would you say that? I mean, it's natural colors orange. <laughs> Dude doesn't have to wear an orange shirt, right? Right. I mean, he doesn't have to wear an orange uh, pair of overalls or an orange blazer. <laughs> the dude is naturally orange. Yeah. Funny. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I yeah. think orange man it. bad. Yeah, orange man times, bad. Yeah, how many times have we heard that? Yeah. 843 uh, Real quick, programming note. Ron DeSantis scheduled to call in at 820 this morning. Scheduled to call in live radio gets funky, but scheduled to call in uh, presidential candidate Ron DeSantis at 820. Good work, Josh. Real good work. Thank you. On your behalf. Take a break. Back at a few. Okay, Josh, we're heading toward the holiday season. Um, we get a bit distracted. Can you, as a poll question, you do a daily poll question, right? That's right. Can we kind of play off? You'll verbalize it the way you, you choose to, but can we say something to the effect of, the Palmetto Bowl is kind of a lame name. I mean, it's so generic. Lame's not a good word. It's just so, I mean, everything in South Carolina is the, Pal it's the Palmetto Bowl. It's the Palmetto Race. It's the Palmetto Show. It's the Palmetto State. It's the, you know, under the Palmetto Moon. You know, I mean, under the Crescent Moon. Anyway, um, Bedlam. We need to find something close to that. The Red River Rivalry. It was called, called the Red River Shootout. But now the politically correct gun control crowd are <laughs> of offended by that. Yeah. So, some of the gun control activists say, shootout. I mean, you can't have shootouts. Well, I mean, we did. Settling the West involved a lot of shootouts. Um, but, but now they've accepted that, and it's not the Red River. I mean, some out there, by that I mean the Red River divides Oklahoma and Texas. Some still refer to that game as the Red River shootout. But there's been a, an acceptance of political correctness now, and they'll call it the Red River rivalry. But the best name is Bedlam. I mean, that's just a, um, 
I can hear an Oklahoma State fan and an Oklahoma fan um, in in you know in the in the winter of the year or, or the spring of the year saying, "Hey, where's Bedlam this year?" <laughs> I, I looked up the definition of Bedlam. See if this applies. A scene of uproar and confusion. See, that's it. I mean, that's perfect. <laughs> you can't do any better than that. But but I, I've just always felt. I mean, I, I've I've toyed around with this idea secession. I mean, we, we, our our state is kind of. I mean, we've known we're known to be rebellious. I mean, give South Carolina and Texas half a chance, they'll secede. And it's kind of a. Um, I mean, we we're, we just kinda, we're known as that. I mean, we're known as being against the grain and 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 a little bit odd and a little bit difficult and a little bit different than than some of the other conforming states. And then we name our 120 year old football rivalry the Palmetto Bowl. Wow. Okay, that was creative. What marketing company did we pay a million dollars to come up with that name? <laughs> you know we Whoa. did. And don't tell me the tree, excuse me, the trophy's a palmetto tree. I mean, they, they even went to more of an extreme of creativity. Yeah, okay, the palmetto bowl. And the winner gets a trophy that looks like a palmetto tree. Wow. I mean, the amount of money we must have invested to be that creative is hard to believe. Um, yeah, it's secession. Somebody wins a musket. Like a real musket, the musket Ooh. that, yeah. You see where I'm headed? Yeah, I like I mean, it that. celebrates our state's history. Bedlam, to me, celebrates Oklahoma, the Red River rivalry. I mean, that celebrates the the, the deep division uh, football animus that one fan base has toward another, that being Oklahoma and the Iron Bowl. I mean, what's harder than iron? You know, Auburn and Alabama, the Iron Bowl. And then we, the Palmetto Bowl. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The funkiest name is the Egg Bowl. You know, Mississippi and or Ole Miss and Mississippi State play in the Egg Bowl. But at least it's more unique than the um, than the Palmetto Bowl. Let's get to some work here. Um, someone asked me yesterday afternoon, hey, man, can you try to explain tomorrow morning where you think we are in the Republican primary? They heard uh, the good work Josh did to get DeSantis on the phone, and they were talking about, is this thing over and, well, I mean, it's not over. You still got a, an Iowa caucus, a New Hampshire primary, a South Carolina primary. If Trump wins Iowa, I mean, I think it's over. Uh, personally, I don't see a lane for anybody to beat Trump right now. Look, this morning, his RCP average is 58.5. DeSantis at 14.4. Haley's at 9.0. Now, I think in the last in the last week, these um this data includes polling that's three weeks old. And I do believe that DeSantis has lost a little ground to Haley, and Haley has gained a little ground on DeSantis, but nobody's gained any ground on Trump. I mean, that's been the consistent theme. You know, they, they've shuffled second place and third place and, and fourth place around. Uh, Tim went from 2.5% to about 5 or 6%, but then he went back to about 3%. So Scott getting out. Uh, somebody said, where do the Scott go, voters go? There just aren't that many. I mean, when he gets out, he's at 2.5%. That doesn't move the meter. I mean, if you're talking about, if this were DeSantis and Haley minus Trump and Tim gets out, yeah, it makes a big difference. You know, if um if Nikki got 75% of Scott's supporters and DeSantis only got 25%, there's a point or two, you know, there that you're, you're starting to move around. But I just, I mean, I, I don't know how you get anywhere other than Trump winning this nomination. And I don't know that jail time matters. I mean, I really and truly don't. How wide is the resolute desk and how wide is the door on a jail cell? I mean, I think that's the question we may need to ask ourselves. How wide? Somebody get a tape measure and measure the um, the width 
of the resolute desk and the door of a of a prison cell and see if it goes in. <laughs> I mean that that's the craziest thing to, 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 to even consider. But I think that's where might we have are to pivot. today, huh? You might have to pivot well, the could, desk I mean, a little. It, it might be some of that, you know, snap together furniture. I don't know. You may snap it apart <laughs> and snap it back together once you get it in the, in the, the prison cell. I have no idea uh, where we go from here. But but I'm somebody asked me yesterday. So here's where I, where I think we are. Tim Scott was running for president. Tim was running as a kind of an inspirational, optimistic, different sort of candidate. Uh, he said uh, on the Trey Gowdy podcast, I listened to it last night. He said, you know, now's not my time. Well, he's exactly right. Um, the Republican primary voter are not looking for an uplifting, inspirational sort of a political actor. They want somebody not spiteful. I mean, they want somebody to level the playing, excuse me, to, to settle the score that they believe um, has been done to them throughout the balance of the last, what, nearly eight years, seven years since, 20, since 2016. Um, the way the left and the media and all the um, kind, kind of the organized forces have worked against America first, that they just don't want to play nice. They want somebody to aggressively kind of settle some of those scores. Trump says he's going to settle some of those scores. I know the media freaks out when he says that. Some of the liberals freak out when he says that, but he creates more intense loyalty within his voting block. Um, the most interesting conundrum that Haley and DeSantis find themselves in is they're battling for second place and second don't pay. I mean, it just doesn't. I mean, we're, we're the majority of, um, of a primary States are winner take all. So if Trump gets 50% of the vote and Haley gets, let's hypothetically say Nikki gets 16 and DeSantis gets 14 in some of these States or, or DeSantis gets 16 and Nikki gets 14. Doesn't matter who got 16 or 14. Trump got 50. I mean, he got 48. He got 52. He got 46. He got 50, 54. And um, I mean, Ramaswamy, I think, is running to create a brand. I mean, he's not really running for president. Ramaswamy's not a moron. He knows he has zero chance to get elected a Republican nominee, but he's running to kind of shake things up, um, to shock the system, to continue. I have no idea. There's kind of a theory out there that Ramaswamy and Trump communicate one with another. He does some of this um, attacking the media. Uh, yesterday or the day before on Chris Cuomo's show, Ramaswamy went after Cuomo and the establishment media. So the narratives, and he does it in a more intellectual way than Trump does. I mean, I think you would agree to that. Mm -hmm. When Ramaswamy attacks the media, it sounds a little bit different than when Trump <laughs> attacks he's the just media. he's as aggressive. Well, he's probably more aggressive. Yeah. Um, and a little bit more historically informed. Uh, about you know the media and the unfairness and one-sidedness of the uh, of the media, but but Chris Christie is just I mean he has a grievance. Big Chris didn't get a job he wanted. Maybe Trump promised. Maybe he didn't. I've heard he did, and he reneged on that promise. Um, so he goes over to Israel, wears a bulletproof vest. It looked like a weeble. <laughs> Remember the weebles? <laughs> weebles wobble, but, but they, don't they don't fall yeah, down. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Chris Christie with that bulletproof vest on, <laughs> not so flattering. Uh, if you know what I mean. But anyway, Christie's running as a um, kind of a grievance candidate. you got Burgum. I don't know, but the guy's got a lot of money. Wants to see his name in lights. Uh, he'll keep spending his money for as long as he chooses, and I've got no problem with that. But but people say narrow the field. The field's as narrow as it's going to get. I mean, it's a three-person race. It's, it's a one-person race, 
and a two-person race for second place. And that's kind of the way I see it today. Is there any chance that DeSantis or Haley cut through and begin to erode some of the lead Donald Trump? I mean, I don't see it. I just don't see any way. Maybe they battle one another for 16 or 17 or 18%. Maybe the ceiling for DeSantis is 18. We may ask that. I mean, when, when, when DeSantis, when Governor DeSantis joins us at 820, we may ask, um, hey, you're at 15 or 16. How do you get to 40? How do you get to 42, 3, 4 from here? 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Our number first caller of the morning is Larry in the PD. Hello, Larry. Good morning. Um, I think second place might pay something. I mean, if you think about it, what you've really got is you've got Trump and then the people who will not vote for Trump. It's not like necessarily, oh, I really like Nikki or I really like DeSantis. It's like, I'm not voting for this guy, so who amongst these two am I going to vote for in a primary? But that's a good collection of people to have if you've got a vice presidential candidate that was made up solely of people who wouldn't vote for the presidential candidate. Because then they, you can kind of get this idea of, well, he'll be next. Right, so they're in their mind they're still voting for him or her for president, just the next president. And I honestly think that though nobody's saying it, and it might be one of those good Kahaley questions that you say, "Do you think the 2020 election was stolen?" No. Does your neighbor? Oh yeah, my neighbor. <laughs> he, he's sure it was stolen. I think both sides need to run the same two candidates because both sides want to go see. I told you, if Biden wins. They're going to say, see, I told you the election was fair. And if Trump wins, we're going to say, see, we told you the election was rigged. So I I really think you can put whatever you want, whatever label you want on this election coming. But this election is, I think, all about the 2020 election, in my opinion. And I think that if the Democrats figure out that they can't steal it for Joe Biden, that's the only way. They will run another candidate. I don't care if Joe Biden is, is in a wheelchair with drool running out the side of his mouth. They're going to run him because they want to say, we told you so. Now go back, sit down. There's nothing wrong with our system. Let us keep stealing elections like we've been doing it. That's interesting. Hey, Larry, before I let you out of here now, Larry's yep. got this. Larry texted me yesterday afternoon. I don't think he minds me saying this, divulging. Let, 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 let Larry's afflicted with the busy head syndrome as I am. He may have a more severe case right now than I do. Um, Larry believes that the era of graveyards and cemeteries may be over. Explain yourself, <laughs> uh, fellow busy okay. head syndromist. Well, the thing is, if you really think about the way we live now, it, it, you know, you used to bury your 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 you know your patriarch on the family plot. And you'd go back there and teach your family history. Say, there's your great, great, great grandfather Angus McGillicuddy, and he founded this place in 1827. But nobody lives on their family land anymore. We're very transient people. We move back and forth across town and from town to town. And when you finally die, that's about the only time you sit still. But but your family doesn't sit still. And I don't know that that people visit cemeteries the way they used to. And even if you do, you know. 25 years from now, 50 years from now, your grandchildren who live in, you know, Charlotte are not going to pack up on Thanksgiving and drive all the way down to Florence to see their great-grandfather's grave in some land that they never owned and don't have any connection to. So my question was, is it right to encumber that land forever 
for somebody, for a group of people that 100 years from now, no one will come to visit and no one will barely remember, and, and their offspring will be scattered across the fruited plain. I just wonder if we're beyond the need that way. I almost think we should go back to just burying your people in the backyard. <laughs> I know that sounds a little weird. So, so, so Larry, but, but so, so, so let's say, let's say that South Carolina remains one of the fastest growing states in America. And this plot yeah. of land that has always been a cemetery uh, has a higher and best use of residential or commercial development. Do we exhume the bodies? I mean, what, what do we do with that land? Is that land encumbered forever and we move forward, you know, in spite of that? Or we do, do we include that as part of this transition? I don't know. And, and that's a great question. But the, the real question is, and I hate to side with the, uh, with the eco-terrorists on this, but maybe the way we bury people is the problem, that we put them in these indestructible caskets where they slowly decompose way slower than they ever should have. And that's why we're like, what are we going to do with the leftover stuff? There shouldn't be any leftover stuff, really. You should just return to the earth the way God intended for it to be. Yeah, you bury somebody, not to keep them there forever, but because if you leave them above ground, that's not a good alternative. But, you know, with cremation and things like that and the natural way that you can bury people now that in 10 or 15 years they're, they're consumed by the earth like they should be, we wouldn't necessarily have these problems. Uh, we wouldn't have these questions. So... I know it's a weird thought, but I, it just one that I just was thinking about the way we've changed, just the way we live. That a cemetery is almost outdated. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate. That's it. kind of an interesting. And you know me. I mean, I like to get the get kind of the creative, ah, the contrarian juices um, flowing. Josh is looking at me kind of funny uh, today, but I think what Larry's talking about is there was a day, and maybe it's still the case for some of you out there, we're going to visit your grandfather's grave. I mean, that, that was, I mean, obviously a way to pay respect, but it was a way to put your arm around your, you know, your kid and talk about the life he led, the influence he made and, uh, you know, and, and what, what, what we owed him. I, I think it's kind of an interesting, um, it, it's part of our history, but, but let's think about this. If we are continuing to grow and there is land that is sitting, let's say it, I mean, dormant. I mean, let's say that Rev owns a plot of land. And it'll, uh, the maximum capacity of the number of graves on this property is a thousand. And we're at a thousand. I mean, that land, for all practical purposes, I mean, it's a graveyard, it's a cemetery. Um, but its highest and best use could be that of development. It could be a residential neighborhood, it could be a commercial property, it could be public space. I don't know. I mean, there, there's a, uh, a variety of, of values that land bring, bring to the table. Should we consider, I don't want to say the abolishment of graveyards, because personally, I mean, I, I'm looking for a pyramid in Pamplico at my demise, <laughs> uh, out by the great PD River, kind of a shrine oh, yes. what would be suitable for me, maybe built like some King Tut period. Anyway, that's the story for, but I'm, but I'm a humble soul, right? Um, I, right. Think, I think Larry's concept is interesting. And, you know, we, we, we build these or we buy these. I know the funeral homes and the, and the guys who run, Cemeteries are going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, this doesn't happen overnight. But, you know, I remember what we spent on on a funeral. Uh, you just did that on a mm-hmm. casket. and You can buy titanium or you can buy hickory or you can buy, you know, bronze or whatever. I mean, you can spend as much as you'd like to spend on the, uh, I, I guess, the perceived respect you think you owe that deceased member of your of your family. Um 
but but if we continue to bury people on on land or you know in cemeteries, do we need more land? And and is it is it wise for a community to say, okay, there's 27 acres over there, and they're going to develop that into a cemetery, or there's 27 acres over there, and we're going to build you know 104 homes? I, I just think that's kind of an interesting dynamic, and, and I do believe that you know. In an earlier age, we didn't keep the best records. And, and you kind of scrounged around, and you found this old graveyard that your great-great-grandfather was, was buried in. I mean, that's very sacred to you and your family history. But we keep a lot better records now. I mean, we know about where everybody in our families are, are buried. Um, is it time to reconsider the way we do that? I, I don't know. I just think it's kind of an interesting concept. And I think Larry said, I don't know. It's just, once again, something we've always considered to have to stay the way it is. We're not stopping with that. I mean, that's nonsense. I mean, my, my grandfather and grandmother, and, you know, they were buried there, and I want to be buried there, and I want my kids to be buried there. So, <laughs> a lot of things you want in life that you, don't, that you don't get. The world changes right before our very eyes. Take a break. Back in a few. Hey, we can't confirm this, but it's being rumored that Donald Trump is coming to the Clemson-South Carolina football game. I sent a, um, I sent a text to a friend of ours that um, we would prefer a more garnety tan <laughs> than orange man, right? Right. I mean, he needs to be neutral. You need to have, I mean, if you're running in South Carolina, you got to have Tigers and Gamecocks. And he has this, um, he has this very orange look to him, and we're, we're trying to convince him that it would be in his best interest, not ours. I mean, we're not offended by the natural orange tan, but it would be in his best interest to um to find a more um garnety tint of that orange <laughs> of the orange tan. Let's go to the phone. Go. It's uh Breeze. Hey, good morning, Breeze. Yeah, Ken, uh, Donald did call me and said that he was coming to the game. I can tell you that for a fact. He also wanted me to give you his talk, give you give him your phone number. But I told him that'd be a waste of time. He could never get in touch with Oh, okay, okay, okay. I hear. I saw where Breeze called me yesterday. Uh, I've been I've been struggling with <laughs> battling with something. I, I I told him a little bit. Anyway, continue. Continue, my man. Well, you better struggle with some more push-ups, son. You get that? <laughs> anyway, um, you know, you ever notice, you know, when Russia or China would have an Olympic Games, and you know, they would clean up, they'd clean up everything to make communism look like communism. And put on this facade for the Western media and everybody when they go to their country for the Olympics to show how wonderful China is, how wonderful Russia is. Isn't it pathetic that in the United States of America we have to do the same thing over in San Francisco before the Chinese dictator communist comes over there so he can actually see that we aren't the big of a crap show as he is? And then, but you do feel comfortable sleeping tonight knowing Joe Biden is over there. He's going to be negotiating with the Chinese leader. Well, what I was going to ask you, though, kid, you know, the sadness, I don't, I don't know exactly why he ran, but um, I do know this, that for him to become president, there's a couple of things that have to happen. I mean, his best way to become president would be as Donald Trump's running mate, but it appears he wouldn't be the best running mate. So he's kind of screwed it away because it really needs to be a woman. I'll convince of that. And like you say, it can't be too pretty of a woman, but it's got to be a woman. And Donald Trump needs to sell it as, you know, you vote for me for president, and then you'll get the first woman's president, and she'll be like a market factor. But, you know, uh, another thing, too, is um, 
I've been sitting there waiting and waiting. You know, like yesterday, I said, why, why, why hasn't anybody apologized for COVID? But I still have not heard any Republican candidate, any of the senators, just senator you have calling in, all of those people, nobody has presented any kind of a plan whatsoever to make sure they do win the election. It's like they, you know, they have no, they, no one say what is a concrete plan for us to save this country from the communist, Marxist, fascist, globalists that are trying to take it over. Nobody's come up with any kind of a plan to cut to cut the deficit or the debt. Not one, not one Republican has. I don't even think they got a real plan. I hope Donald Trump has a plan to, to beat on whoever it is that the Democrat, godless, fascist put forth. I, I just, I, I, I don't, I mean, you know, you know what I mean? If you ever, you ever, you ever come up to a bunch of buddies and say, hey, what's the plan? And they look at you, well, there is a plan. You know what I mean? What's the plan of attack? Well, we don't have one. Have you heard of any concrete plan that is, that, that our supposed, and I really, I hate to use the word our because I don't even think they're my leaders. But the people that are the Republicans, if you heard any plan laid out on paper, how to win the election, how to make sure that they don't cheat in the election, and what in the hell they're going to do if they do get power? Because we've already seen what the House of Representatives does when they get power, and it's a crap show. I mean, that's the thing that's so frustrating. We're going to end up voting for a bunch of jabronis that don't even know their butt from a hole in the ground. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's beyond pathetic. I mean, you know, I mean, damn, give us so give us something to work with, boys. I mean, they don't, you know, they give us something to, to back y'all up on. You know, give me a reason to back you. But I mean, they don't, they don't give. And here's another question: Right now, who out there really right now is a never trumper? Are you still a never trumper after four years of Biden? Can anybody be a never trumper if he's your only choice between him and Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom? Or any other daggle godless Democrat fascist SOB. I mean, it's pathetic. The Republicans are the most pathetic party in, in, in existence in the world today. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, but, but the problem on the debt, I mean, a plan on Israel, okay. A plan on Ukraine, okay. A plan on securing the border, okay. There is no answer to the debt. That's what I've said over and over and over again. I started a radio show 12 years ago, and the debt was somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 or $12 trillion. And I remember then going, how do you pay that back? I mean, how do you, how do you build a budget and, and create an abide by an appropriating process that allows you to repay, you know, 10, 12, 13 trillion dollars that we don't have? And we whistled Dixie and we whistled past the graveyard and all whatever you want to insert here. I mean, whatever, what am I trying to say? Whatever saying or cliche you want to insert there. But, but now we've gotten ourselves, and, and I'll tell you, the people that never talked about it are beginning to talk about it. The last, um, the last government debt auction didn't go quite so well. I mean, there's a lot of debt to be auctioned. There weren't many buyers. They they will buy, but they want a, a higher rate. I mean, they're taking a bigger risk. What what do lenders want when they're taking a bigger risk? They, they want more of a premium. They want more of a yield. They want more of a return. How do they get that return? They charge you a higher interest rate. I mean, they're taking a bigger risk. So, so you know, if they're taking a risk on Dave Baker, 
They're 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 not going to finance him at five percent. It's got to be five and a quarter, five and a half, whatever that that number is. And a lot of the insiders got a bit alarmed by what happened, you know, um, last week or the week before in some of these treasury auctions. That that's concerning. And once again, that gets in the weeds a bit. We're we, we can formulate a plan on how to secure the border. I mean, I think it involves the American military. I mean, I don't think, I think the border has gotten so out of control. The only way to secure our border is to deploy some military assets, National Guard, uh, drones, helicopters. I don't think you can trust DEA. It's not their fault. I'm not saying that DEA shouldn't be. I mean, we just allowed it to get so crazy and out of control. And, but, but the debt, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot about this. I mean, where do we go from here? What do we do? How, how do we constrain spending? The first thing we got to do is stop spending money we don't have. I mean, let's not turn. I mean, we we all agreed to turn thirteen into thirty three. I mean, the, the Republicans didn't stop spending. They didn't curtail the debt. I mean, they were, look at the at the charts. I mean, you could honestly say that the the Democrats have been a little more debt hawkish than the Republicans have. I mean, when you really think about it, each party has agreed. When they say there's no bipartisanship in Washington. The voters need to say, yes, there is. I mean, there's absolute consensus on spending money we don't have. But but now Romney says, and, and I'll give Romney credit, he needs to be in the room. He's offered up more serious conversations about the debate. As much as I don't like Romney, as much as I don't want him anywhere near the leadership of our party because he's a globalist, interventionist, um, elitist. That's not the spokesperson I want for America first. But Romney has always been somewhat understanding of the debt and and some of the tinkering that needs to happen without just radically transforming some of these entitlement programs and, and how to get government spending under control. And, and I'm telling you guys, and I've said this before, I'll go on the record. You ready? I know enough to be dangerous. I've said that a hundred times. If we have the two, the two issues that I've said we better get more serious about are debt and energy. We're living in la-la land when it comes to energy policy. I mean, we, we've allowed these liberals to convince some Americans that we can decarbonize the economy in 10 years. That's nonsense. I mean, that's asinine. That's juvenile. That's dumb. I mean, it's dumb for anybody to believe that in a decade we can decarbonize the largest economy man has ever known. Can we do it in 50 years? 100 years? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what technology lies around around the bend or around the corner. I mean, I think we've had EV peak. I think now you're seeing some of the consequences of what the government tried to do by incentivizing certain sectors of transportation. But but I'll say this: um, I don't believe that the majority of South Carolinians know how close we were to having rolling blackouts in South Carolina, not in Russia, not in Syria, not in Iraq, not in Saudi Arabia. And the good old U.S. of A., the most developed nation man has ever known. We came extremely close to having rolling blackouts in South Carolina over the hottest of the summer months. If we have an abnormally cold winter, if we have a, a, a six- or eight-day stretch of, um, of lower-than-average temperatures, we are going to be notified by power companies that you're going to have to uh, – it's not going to be a choice of yours – they're going to choose in certain areas to cut the power off. Now, I don't know that we have a cold winter, but if we have one of these streaks, six, seven days of abnormally cold weather, and we kind of know what the averages are in South Carolina, 
The power companies are going to begin notifying you they don't have the power available. They can't purchase the power from other places. We, we are at a, an energy deficit. And, and we're doing nothing to, to, to address it. Now, we're charging uh, higher energy bills to pay for the, <laughs> what, what, I mean, I, I got a good word if we're on satellite radio, the cluster, you know what, for uh, some of what happened with the partnership between Santee and Scana and, and uh, who else was involved in that? Uh, Scana, Santee, and uh, the, the nuclear site. Yeah, the thing. nuclear site and cross. Anyway, um, the one that just went south and, I mean, the media will tell you that's three or four billion dollars, two or three billion. That's probably somewhere north of ten, south of twenty billion dollars that the energy sector in our state's going to have to make up. And it doesn't matter about point fingers. Was it Westinghouse's fault? Was it Mitsubishi's fault? Was it Scanna's fault? Was it CNT's fault? Answer: Yes, yes. I mean, it was a very complicated endeavor. It went south. The state took it on the chin. Uh, the consumer is going to have to pay for those companies affiliated to make up for that huge deficit that was created. But, but you know, n- now we've got higher power bills than we've ever had. And, and we're at the precipice in the hottest of hot days, the coldest of cold days, of ha- having rolling blackouts. But that's not in a foreign land. That's not a third world country. That's in the good old U.S. of A. But that's what happens, guys, when you don't have serious debates and serious people dealing with very serious issues and energy and the debt are two of, in my humble opinion, the most serious issues this country is dealing with. And we're not dealing in a positive fashion. We're doing nothing about the debt. And to me, we're taking, uh, you know, kind of a backward looking way, uh, to, to, to address some of the energy concerns that we have, uh, in America today. Let's go to the phone. Then we'll take a break. Mike in Darlington. Good morning. You're on. Uh, good morning. I had an excellent show as always. Uh, I I wanted to go back and cover this a little bit about uh, you were talking about graveyards a little bit earlier. I think it would shock people to know how many graves have been paved over over the years around townships and uh, towns around the place that their uh, human remains are actually under the street. And uh, but uh, that the way we handle bodies, I mean, it's always been kind of a benchmark. In uh, anthropology, uh, the progression of uh, human society, when they buried their dead or when they uh, gave honor or uh, disposed of the bodies in an orderly way instead of just leaving them for the scavengers to pick up on the side of the trail. And uh, at the same time, another benchmark was when uh, they uh, gave up human sacrifice well, it seems like we're kind of regressing right now, and we're going backwards in that. As far as the debt goes, that I, I remember back in, in Nixon and everything, clearly LBJ and Nixon and Keynesian economics. That was a, it, there were books on the shelves and courses. He was in every college economics course. And uh, they, and always what popped up in these uh, ideas about the debt when once we got unhitched from the gold standard under Nixon was that uh, we'll pay back this debt, and it was just uh, a few hundred hundred billion then. Uh, we'll pay back this huge debt with uh, inflated dollars. 
Well, that's that was kind of okay. At the same time, you were going, well, we're not going. We're going to get away from this. Is in the seventies. We're going to get away from this uh, whole idea of a production economy, and we're going to have a service economy. And at the core of it will be our banking system because our banking system is so much better than everyone else's. Well, I, I think everything hinges on if you're doing business, you have to have a certain amount of trust uh, to exchange goods and services and to facilitate the complex endeavors, you have to have trust. Well, if you can't trust in the money, you've got a serious, serious problem. I don't know how they're going to take care of that. On the political side, Breeze got has got the whole situation. He He's absolutely right. What in the blank are they doing? You know, we got uh, Mitt Romney's niece up there running the Republican uh, Party and uh, draining off resources on things. I don't understand why she's spending money the way she is, but uh, I know she's not doing it by herself. I mean, she's got some people that will help her uh, waste that money. But uh, the, the situation is dire, and we need a concrete plan, and we need an effective plan not made up by some the first idea that comes out of a high school uh, uh, Senate uh, hearing, you know, because the high school students, they, they come out with one. The first idea is usually the best idea. Well, it's not. You have to think about these things for a while. And I don't see how we're going to win the election. So it's that at this time, until we get it together to uh, cope with some of these uh, swing states, uh, I don't think we're going to have to worry about whether Trump gets elected because they're going to pull the suitcases out from under the tables and bring tractor loads of uh, of uh, blank votes to be uh, duly uh, noted and uh, filled out to vote for Biden. So it doesn't matter what we do unless we get a concrete plan out there to regulate and keep an eye on these uh, crooked Democrats. And they're crooked, and they're playing for power. They don't care about anything else but power. You, once you understand that, you understand a lot about the power. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. I hear the music in the background. Back in just a few minutes. 843-661-0937. Real quick, I was talking about some of the debt, some of the auction, 30-year 30, um, 30 treasury. They they expected to have to pay about 4.65% on the debt. They ended up having to pay about 4.8% on $24 billion in bonds. That there's a big supply debt. There's not a big demand right now. I mean, there's just not. Uh, amongst the purchasers, which could be anybody. I mean, it could be banks. It could be private individuals. Uh, it could be foreign governments. But they went into this 30-year treasury auction expecting, modeling to pay about 4.65 in interest. They ended up paying a little north of 4.8 on the 24. But here's the interesting part of this. The primary dealers, I mean, that, that's kind of an interesting relationship. You've heard me talk about these big banks that have relationship with the Fed. Um, those are the big banks obligated to finance whatever portion of the treasury auction that isn't purchased by other investors. 
In other words, if Dave, Ken, and Josh say, I don't know, man, at 4.8, I'm not a buyer. I mean, I've got a little money. I believe in the full faith and credit of the U.S., but I can't do it 4.65. I can't even do it at at 4.8. Whatever is not purchased in that manner, these primary dealers, these big banks, have to purchase what the other investors do not. Um, They ended up buying about a quarter of the debt. They thought they were going to buy about 9%. Mmm. Mmm. I mean, I'm not an economist. I'm not, I'm not educated or versed in the economy. That's concerning to me. I mean, that, that's alarming, to be honest with you. You offer up $24 billion in U.S. Treasury debt. You expect to pay 4.65 in interest rate. You end up paying 4.8. And these primary dealers that you already have a deal with expect to purchase about 9% that there is no public demand for. They end up buying about 25. It's actually about 27% of that debt. Um, that, that's, that's, once again, that's kind of geeky and, and inside, you know, baseball and, and a bit weedy, I guess, but that's, that's very concerning and to I'm those sure who know what they're talking about. There's some historical trends. So if we check those historical trends, I wonder what that we're, is. We're a signal, very much out of the norm. Now. A signal of, I mean, that, that's very much it? out of the norm. That may be a one-off. I mean, the big banks may not have got their pay that day. I, I you know, uh, you, you, did you get paid today? Uh, yeah, I get paid tomorrow. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how they operate and how they cash flow uh, this, but I, I just know that really elevated the concern in some of the stock and bond, excuse me, in some of the uh, yeah, stock and bond markets uh, in America. Let's go to the phone. William and McCall, good morning. You're on the air. How you doing, Dave? Ken. Uh, change up the subject a little bit. Uh, I got a niece that uh, her cousin goes to Virginia Tech and on the abortion deal she told me that there's more young men in college that vote for abortion than there are women because the young men don't want to pay child support or have any responsibility so that's something y'all need to think about too when you're talking about all these women against abortion all these young men against abortion or for abortion because they don't want the responsibility of raising a child. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate that. Or thank you, William. That's not Williams. That's William, uh, who's called this show many, many times over the years. Um, the the only data that I've seen, and I don't deny what William is saying, makes sense. I mean, if I'm young, I don't really, you know, I, I don't think about the world around me very much. Um, there's this girl that's pregnant. If she aborts that baby, I don't have to pay child support. Be, be, you know, uh, what, what am I trying to be, be weighted with the burden of raising a kid? I don't want any part of that. I'm 21 or two. It stands to reason that they would probably be more liberal about when that girl should or should not have an abortion. But I'm not seeing a lot of data when it comes to that. And in my political life, I've, the only thing I can really concern myself with is some of the data that's been collected and what does the data suggest? Um, do you trust the polling or not? I don't know. I mean, I don't trust it. 100%, but it's the best we've got. And there's no doubt that right now, and I think Breeze touched on it a little bit with Trump having to find a female uh, to run, the Republicans have to cohesively answer the question of when a woman should be allowed to have an abortion or not. I mean, I, we, we almost had the debate last week about the, the, ah, the hypocritical way that we've tried to address it, and we get ourselves in this pretzly position of, 
you know, I'm, I'm playing twister with myself. I mean, I've tied myself into so many, uh, many knots. It's, um, I mean, I, I, Josh has an extreme position, but, uh, but I, it's an honorable position. I might believe that Josh's stance may be more honorable than mine. I mean, I'm being honest. I, I, I'll accept that mine is being politically massaged. Um, I've allowed the, the politics of today because uh, I want Republicans to win because I think Republicans are better at governing than Democrats are. I think, you know, despite uh, Breeze's point about we don't have a plan, uh, maybe we do, maybe we don't. I don't know the plan on debt, guys. I mean, it, it would be interesting to me. Uh, I don't want to be party chair. I don't want to run for office, but I could in about 30 minutes. I mean, I could write down some notes on the border. I could write down some notes on taxes. I could write down some notes on transportation, education, infrastructure. I mean, I think I have a grasp of, of some of those issues. But when it comes to debt, when I write the word debt, I mean, you know, the only place to start is entitlements. But but all of a sudden, we're the boogeyman. You know, you're running against Santa Claus, and you are uh, the boogeyman. I believe, and, you know, some have opinions different than this. I believe that somebody like Vivek Ramaswamy being chair of the party creates this outsider's perspective. And I don't know where the heart and soul of the GOP is because I don't go to meetings. I mean, I don't go to the to the precinct organization meeting on Monday night or the, the county party meeting on, on Tuesday night. I mean, I did for a long time. I mean, many, many years in my life, uh, I dedicated a night to go, you know, speak to these people and interact with these, with these people. Cause they're the, they're the offensive line. I mean, they're, they're the ones that don't get much of the credit, but they do, uh, some of the building of, of the party, but it's obvious to me that there's this kind of, um, kind uh, kind of a, an asymmetrical relationship between the leadership of the party and its rank-and-file voters. Did you see who Vivek Ramaswamy suggested for interim leader of the RNC? He said Drew. Yeah, yeah he said, let's let Drew try it. I mean, Ronna McDaniel, I mean, she's an excuse-making machine. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm a Republican. She is head of the RNC. She is an excuse-making machine. And I think the powers-to-be should replace her today and let Drew have a shot at it. I mean, if you know, Drew, Drew's a quote-unquote insider. But, but maybe he's a more able insider than Rona McDaniel. She's failed. I mean, she's failed to succeed in getting Republicans elected in an era and age where right now, at this point in American history, Republicans should have the advantage. But it's not my responsibility to message. It's my, not my responsibility to candidate recruitment. It's not, well, what is your responsibility? I mean, you're the RNC chair. We look to you when things go well. We look to you when things don't go well. Things aren't going so well. It's your fault. I'm not saying you're totally to blame, but you signed up to be chair. It's time to get rid of Ronald McDaniel, let Drew try it, and uh, and if he doesn't succeed, you know, I, th- I just think eventually end up with somewhat of an outsider. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937, our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Bird in Marlboro County. Good morning. You're on. Good morning. A lot to cover this morning, Ken. Uh, Number one, three weeks from Thursday, we've got the First in the South uh, Republican Action Conference, which will probably bring all the candidates running for president back to South Carolina. Uh, in reference to Breeze and Jim, uh, we do have a plan in place to win. We're going to rerun in Donald Trump, who's probably going to go in with the highest winning for, uh, edge uh, against any Democrat probably in American history. Uh, in 2020, even though Trump lost, uh, the National Republican Party, we took over 36 state legislatures out of 50. And back in 1992, the forefathers, they relegated the operation of elections, both state and federal, to the state. 
and that's already paid dividends because in in 2020 in Marlboro County, under the new election integrity bill in South Carolina, which a lot of these states have patterned their bills after, uh, our District 54 representative, Democrats, she had uh, 4,506 absentee ballots just in Marlboro County. In 2022, under the new election integrity bill, which is a felony charge if you get caught for vote fraud or vote harvesting illegally, her, her absentee totals went to 412 and she came within 500 votes of, leap, of losing. Back in January, in a, in a private meeting with President Trump at the State House, he said Republicans have got to start harvesting ballots like the Democrats do, except do it legally. So in mid-June, uh, Ronald McDaniel, she launched a program that we're going to start in January, Bank Your Vote. So we're going to be banking our votes, getting people to vote early, both early and vote absentee, just like the Democrats do, but do it legally. And I know a little something about it, because when I ran in 2020, uh, out of my 805 votes, uh, 405 of them were absentee votes. I've been doing these things a long time. A lot of your senior citizens and your disabled people, they would not vote if they couldn't vote at the kitchen table. But if you do it legally and do it right, it's the way to go, and you get a lot more people to participate in the election process. So we do have a plan to win. We have banker votes starting in January. We have new election integrity bills in 36 states, which is going to help us monitor the illegal activities that's been going on. And in the states that we don't have control of, yeah, I think Drew and, and both Jim both, we have got to have people on the ground, boots on the ground in these polls, monitoring the Democrats because they're going to be in a desperate situation to try and win. But the big thing is President Trump is going to go in with the largest edge on any Democrat they decide to run. I do not think it will ever be Joe Biden. I think they will have to go to an alternate candidate. But we're going to have the best horse in the race, and that horse is going to come out as the 47th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Thank you, Vert. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. And that's a guy doing the kind of, kind of the rank and file building of of a party. I'm glad to hear there's a plan. Well, I mean, there's a plan. The problem with the Republicans today is it's hard to put a plan together when throw out all the bums is the consensus of the voting. And that's kind of where the GOP is. Um, It finds itself very disenchanted with anybody not named Trump. I mean, the polls clearly show that. Is there a never Trump element in the GOP? Yes. Of course there is. I mean, it's it's 35%, maybe. Uh, well, I mean, that's unfair. Th- never Trumpers are probably 25%. I'd rather have somebody other than Trump. It's probably 35 or 40%. Um, but, I mean, Trump is going to be your nominee. Can they coalesce? Can they consolidate? Can they find, you know, a, um, I don't want to say a reason to get behind Trump, because they can they find a reason to be loyal to the Republican Party? And, and, and I get real frustrated. I mean, Vert and I probably disagree on some of these. Um, I'm concerned about the plan because uh, I saw what happened last Tuesday. I mean, a president underwater 58 points should be toast. And the Republicans underperformed in Virginia. The ballot question in Ohio underperformed. The Republican underperformed in Kentucky. Um, and you can say it's not this simple, and it's not. It never is as simple as someone like me would try to articulate it to be, but Trump wins Kentucky by 29 points, and a good Republican candidate loses Kentucky by by five points. Somebody's got to put that puzzle together. Somebody's got to admit that some of the America Firsters don't show up when Trump's not on the ballot, and some of the never-Trumpers or not-so-much-Trumpers don't show up when Trump is on the ballot. And it's a dilemma. There's not enough of them, and there's not enough of us. 
There's enough of them plus us, us plus them, but there's not enough those who find Trump unacceptable to win. There's not enough of those who would rather have anybody, uh, nobody but Donald Trump. I mean, there's, and, and it, once again, I know it's not that simple, but it kind of sort of is. I mean, the Republican Party finds itself, once again, my word, in an asymmetrical relationship. The donor class are going to fund Nikki Haley. I mean, you can mark on this. Nikki bought $10 million in ads in Iowa. I mean, she is now their darling. Uh, Tim's out of the race. I don't think Tim was ever a neocon. Um, and he was somebody who tried to kind of sort of have it both ways. I mean, I never had Tim say anything negative about Trump. Uh, I don't know how much personal loyalty there is. I mean, Nikki made Tim a senator. Remember when Jim DeMint took the job at Heritage Foundation, Nikki was governor. She handpicked Tim Scott. I mean, I don't know what sort of relationship Nikki and Tim uh, have, but now Tim's out of the race. Um, it's pretty obvious Chris Christie isn't going anywhere. Uh, Ron DeSantis has said, whether he means this or not, that if he had to choose one of the other, neoconservatism or America first, he's going to be an America firster. Now, I don't know if that's campaign rhetoric or if he really means that, but Nikki's the one. I mean, it was something that got uh, very little coverage that I heard and wrote down during the debate last week, Nikki said it's not the fact that Israel needs the U.S. It's U.S. needing Israel. I mean, I don't know why that didn't get a lot of play, but that's an interesting statement. Go back and listen. I mean, you can archive it. Go back and listen. She says, and I quote, it's not that Israel needs the U.S. It's that the U.S. needs Israel. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's Raytheon board talk. I mean, that's McDonnell Douglas board talk. I mean, that's carrying the water for the military-industrial complex. I mean, I don't know if that was a full pie. I, I don't know if she meant to say that. Uh, or, or said the quiet part out yeah, loud. Yeah, or, or said the quiet part out loud. I mean, we do that at times. I mean, I've debated, and, you know, in, in, my, in my heart of hearts, knew how I felt about something, but, but I wasn't sure I needed to say it that way. And, and you would say it, and the second you say it, you're like, wow, I should have said that. I mean, that's not the way. I mean, that could be interpreted a certain way that I didn't mean it to be interpreted. And when Nikki said, I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, so did she really mean that? Or was that just mistakenly said? I don't know. But it reflects to me, I mean, her lane is neoconservatism. Her lane is the Mitt Romney, John McCain, globalist, interventionist kind of mindset. And, and you know, we'll find out what the appetite is when it comes there. Um, th this is kind of an interesting question, and I'll ask our listeners. Um in a two-horse race, Trump or the other, does Trump beat DeSantis head-to-head -head worse than he beats Haley, or does he beat Haley head-to-head -head worse than he does DeSantis? I mean, I think he beats Haley solid. I think he beats Haley 65-35. I think he beats DeSantis 60-40. Now, I don't know that. I don't have any data to show that. The only data point that I've seen that kind of leads me down that road, the DeSantis voter, say their second choice is to the tune of 43% Donald Trump, about 26% Nikki Haley. So if you kind of extrapolate that data, you, you, you kind of get a, I mean, there's a, it, if DeSantis gets out, Trump wins and Haley loses. Most voters who don't like Trump find DeSantis to be, uh, what, what am I trying, the most watered down version of Trump outside of Ramaswamy in the field. In other words, if you had a sliding scale, Trumpism to the extreme is Donald Trump. And then you've got Ramaswamy. And then you've got 
DeSantis. And then you've got, I would argue, Christie. And then you've got Haley. Haley, has, has, I mean, she's a talented and ambitious politician. But to me, when you listen to what she says, she makes no bones about it. She is the candidate of days gone by. I mean, she is the candidate of the Ronald Reagan Republican Party that, you know, uh, heavily funding defense, having a big, big presence around the world. And it seems to me that's just not where our voting electorate are. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. We'll have a, a kind of an abbreviated segment from now until about 814. Want to be respectful. They just call Josh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, presidential campaigns are complicated animals, I got to believe. I mean, I've never worked on one. I've obviously never run uh, for president. But I can imagine the dotting of I's and crossing of T's required. And if you don't dot them I's and cross them T's, um, I know how it was on a lieutenant governor's campaign. Adios. Uh, we'll find somebody else that will dot I's and cross T's. So we're uh, momentarily in about Dr. Bolt's here with us, Francis Marion, history chair, but he's accepted. Um, I mean, I, not, you know, and he's not accepted. I mean, I had to coax him into believing that we had a bigger fish on the, on the line. And Bolt said, I'll step aside if you promise to inquire about his opinion on, uh, on Andrew Jackson. But, but I mean, seriously, uh, DeSantis would be today right now at this moment the lead alternative to trump you could argue that nikki may have a little more wind in her sail right now she's narrowing the gap yeah but 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 it's still i mean he seems to be alternate number one um and if if trump were to step aside then trump is out or then desantis would be the next guy next man up if you will but but trump is not likely to step aside (laughs) well if he's forced to if he's if he's incarcerated i think is what you're saying somebody yeah i I think i'd led the show this morning dr bolt i believe that the question we should all ponder is the width of the resolute desk and the width of the door on a prison cell because i don't think the resolute desk is snapped together furniture right right i mean there's some history there i don't think it's ikea you know and you kind of take the 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 cordless drill and you take the top off and the and the but is there any precedent to this and in american history i mean you're an expert on early american history that's about as crazy as it gets but is there a precedent to a candidate a front runner a likely choice of one party being legally challenged as he is we we say this a lot, but with President Trump, we're we're continuing to break the mold. I mean, you, it, that, that's a heck of an image you've put in my mind. A couple of guys in orange jumpsuits and corrections officers, kind of saying pivot, trying to get a a, a, a desk into a into yeah, a not just a cell. desk, the, the resolute I mean, right, desk. Right, yeah, right, right. Desk. yeah, we're gonna have to do it in chapters. We're gonna have to cut this thing in in half. So yeah, again, I like to think I think that's just one solid piece of good strong wood, and I don't know how you make it work, but. And make a heck of a Saturday Night Live skit if, if anybody still watches that <laughs> but, show. But here's the, is there any precedent to a political figure as prominent as Trump dealing with all sorts of legal no. issues as he is? I mean, just about every other president has been a very, very squeaky clean reputation. That's what always make them <laughs> appealing. Right. I mean, Honest Abe Lincoln, of course, right? And so there was a, this was an era of intense political corruption. So it was no accident that the Republicans sort of leaned to a guy who was known as Honest Abe Lincoln at the time so again it's when all the dust settles when we write the history books i mean just the chapters upon chapters that we'll get to write on trump uh, and the fact that everything kind of went this way until you got to, to 2016 and trump came down that escalator and he still continues and he's he's good for business he's good for our business sure but but isn't it an indictment on the system 
I mean, when you got as when you have a person as flawed as he is, and the more of his flaws that are exposed, the more trouble he. I mean, his poll numbers they, they actually increase. They right, if years and years ago, if you just said, well, if anybody's in trouble with the law, that's a death sentence. You know, they'd be forced. They'd be forced out. And usually, if there's any type of a scandal in the primary system, somebody has a skeleton in the closet. That's it. Game over. Next man. Next man up. And with with President Trump, it just seems to increase his poll number. Uh, and again, a lot a lot of people think this is this is a witch hunt that the it's all politically motivated. Again, who knows? I mean, what is it? We're at ninety one indictments as of as yeah. of right now, and it looks like the clock. I, a couple of weeks ago, I thought, well, there's they're going to get him on something. He's, he's he's kind of punching back, and just oh, to be a Democrat if he if he beats back all of these and they can't get him on anything at all. And if there come inauguration day, there's Donald J. Trump again. There'll be a lot of a lot of heartache. You grew up in the in the the most eastern part of the Rust Belt. Uh, yeah, I mean B- Buffalo would be what I consider. Kind of the tip, yeah. It's the tip of the of the Rust yeah. Belt on the eastern on the yeah, eastern I'm side. Way, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, do you do you? I mean, you don't live there any longer. I still got to believe you <laughs> keep up with that part of the country. Is there is there sympathy to the Trump cause? Oh, yeah. the Trump agenda. Trump has done very very well in Western New York. Nearly carried Erie County uh, in 2016. This is a very reliable, heavy. Uh, democratic area. It's been solidly Democrat for over over 20 years. And so again, right, this appeal to the, again, we've talked about it before, the forgotten man, uh, the industrial workers who've trying to make ends meet, you know, having to pay so much more for health insurance that they don't have much of a nest egg, they can't provide, they're not going to be able to leave their kids anything behind. Trump's message has appealed and it's resonated uh, with lots of people in Western New York. Uh, a lot of people, I know a lot of family members uh, are willing to charge and let's the hill they want to die and Trump is their guy. Is he still the most likely candidate to beat Joe Biden? I mean, from your perspective, you're an expert on early American yeah. history, but you're not oblivious to what's happening today. Uh, from where you sit, I'm not saying Dr. Bolt, are you a Trump supporter or not? But from where you sit, does it appear that Trump's momentum and energy and this weird consolidation of all these different factions and forces lead you to believe he's probably the best chance a Republican has to win? I, I think he's going to get the nomination. Do I think he can can beat by. I think there might be other Republicans who would have more of a chance just because because they're more conventional. You know what you get with Trump. There's so many people who might who don't like Biden right now, who might say, "I'm going to sit this out. I, I can't stand either one of these guys," or might come out and vote for Biden, even though they don't like him, just because they can't stand Trump anymore. And so again, I think a lot of the Biden vote the first time wasn't so much a pro-Biden; it's an anti-Trump vote. And I think someone, if it's a DeSantis or Governor Haley probably can, if they get the nomination, can probably start writing their inaugural address early on. I mean, look, Biden is underwater. Bidenomics are not working. His saving grace is that he's probably going to run against a guy who's just as unpopular as he is. I mean, it's not exactly an election that's going to send people running to the polls on election day. But you have these unfavorables. The, the, what, what, what a lot of voters will have to decide is, do I dislike Trump <laughs> more than I dislike Twelve percent inflation, right? Oh, exactly. You know, a hundred dollar grocery bill. Rev, go into a um to a takeout diner and it costs you fifty bucks. Um, I mean, it's it it really it's shocking when you look at what things cost today and what they did pre COVID. Well, and the simple question every four years a president asks: Are you better off now than you were four years ago? And most Americans would probably say no. Things were better off. And the the other problem for Biden is well, the guy you're running against was the guy who was in office four years ago, and so this would usually be a should be a slam dunk. I mean, Biden should be packing up his belongings in the White House right now, but they're kind of hanging. There's a, a strong chance he could win another four years just because of 
we know what you have with Troma. There's so many people who've made up their mind that no matter what he offers, no matter what he says, no matter how bad things are, just can't bring themselves to cast the ballot for him. Let's take a break. So, We're a little, little kind of different timing here. I'll get it out in a second. Yeah, a, a different time frame here than normal. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Hopefully, we'll have presidential candidate Ron DeSantis with us on the other side. 843-661-0937 is our number. We'll put everything on hold for just a second. We have with us a very special guest, uh, current Republican presidential candidate and Republican governor of the great state of Florida, Ron DeSantis. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. How you all doing? We are doing well. Happy to have you. Honored to have you. George Will once proclaimed Rudy Giuliani's time as mayor of New York City as the greatest example of conservative government in the last hundred years, I would argue, Governor DeSantis, that some of what you've done in Florida in actually executing a government rivals that of um, of Mayor Giuliani. What are you most proud of in, in how you've led Florida in a more conservative way? Well, I think if you look at uh, standing up for people during COVID, when I was coming under uh, a lot of fire, not only from Florida, the left, uh, Democrats, the bureaucracy, Fauci, even the Trump administration at the time, uh, digging in and saying kids have a right to be in school, people have a right to work, people have a right to uh, uh, open businesses and have businesses going. That really, putting that stake in the ground, really set the stage for Florida to do what it's done. We became the focus of freedom throughout this country and really even throughout the world. I mean, I had people from Canada, Australia, all these people coming 2020, 2021. So you look at us now, we're ranked number one for economy. We're ranked number one for education. We're the fastest growing state, number one for net in migration, second lowest tax burden in a 50-year low in the crime rate. Uh, and there was a lot that went into that. But I think bucking Fauci, standing up uh, when it was not popular and when I was taking a lot of incoming, at the end of the day, leadership is about doing what's right when it's not easy because if the wind's at your back, anybody can do it. And then I think what we've done also more effectively than just about anybody is in this country, the left, they are taking over all these institutions. So they take over K-12 education, bureaucracies. They take over corporate America now with ESG and the corporate activism. And in Florida, we've beat the left on the institutional level. We eliminated critical race theory, gender ideology in our schools. We have parents' bill of rights so that parents know what's being taught in the schools and can object if things are not appropriate. Our universities, all tenured professors, have a five-year review and can be let go for poor performance. No one has made any headway on the universities until we've done. We beat Disney against the gender ideology, most powerful corporation in Florida history, uh, and we kneecap this ESG movement where the corporations are trying to impose a left-wing agenda. So we're the free state of Florida. Part of it is low taxes. Part of it was freedom during COVID. But I think we are not allowing the left to take over institutions in our state, and we're doing a better job of fighting back on behalf of the people. Because you can win elections, but if the left is going to control every lever of power in this country, they're going to end up imposing their agenda, um, and our freedom will end up being out the window. Governor, I served a little time at the State House in South Carolina, and I understand the complications the federal government brings about to state legislatures and executive officers. What do you hope to accomplish on day one if given the opportunity to be president? 
Well, day one, we'll do a number of things. One, we're going to declare the border to be a national emergency, which will mean I'll send troops there. We'll stop the invasion. Uh, we're going to build the border wall. We're going to deport people that come illegally. And I'm going to go after, I'm going to declare the Mexican drug cartels to be foreign terrorist organizations so that we can use military force against them. Two, we're going to open up all energy production in the United States, federal lands, Alaska, you name it. We have more oil and gas reserves anywhere in the world. We need to lower your gas prices. We need to increase our national security. That will do both. Uh, so that means throwing away Biden's Green New Deal. Another day one, reversing all of Bidenomics, the executive orders, the regulations, the bureaucracy, ripping it out, throwing it in the trash can. Uh, that's going to give uh, the economy an ability to breathe. You're going to start to have small businesses be able uh, to get ahead again. So we'll do all those on day one. Uh, we'll do border, we'll do energy, uh, and we'll do economy. Uh, but the larger issue of the growth of the federal bureaucracy, our founding fathers created three branches of government. They did not create a fourth branch, this administrative bureaucracy that has imposed its will on us for far too long and has been weaponized against us, IRS, Department of Justice, FBI, you name it. So we are going to kneecap the administrative state. We're going to rein it in. Uh, we're going to impose constitutional accountability on it and ultimately return the government to its rightful owners, which is we, the American people. Governor DeSantis, I believe personally one of our issues of national security is our debt. Uh, it, it's too complicated to give an answer over a radio show in two or three minutes. But Cliff, note, what would a President DeSantis do about our ever-growing and dangerous federal debt? Well, in Florida, we've cut taxes every year by record amounts, yet we've still run budget surpluses, and we've actually paid down almost 25% of our state's total outstanding debt. From the inception of statehood until the present, we knocked off 25% of it just since I've been governor. So we have a good track record uh, of doing that. I think you got to do a couple things. One, inflation is driving the budget problems because as interest rates go up, the cost to service the debt has ballooned, and that's going to keep going. So we're going to, with the energy, with, with fighting back on spending, getting the bureaucracy off people's back, we're going to bring the, the prices and the inflation down and get the interest rates down. And look, I'm going to be willing to veto uh, bloated spending bills that, that Congress passes. I mean, now they're talking about doing another continuing resolution, which is going to lock in all of the bad Biden policies, all of these excessive levels of spending. And I'm just thinking to myself, uh, they they don't care. They're just business as usual, as if none of this stuff is happening. But if you look just in the last five or six years, the debt has exploded like never before, and that's because of they mismanaged COVID and they've done a lot of excessive spending. But it's been Republicans and Democrats. I mean, that's just the, the honest to God's truth. When you get up to Washington, both parties are, are a part of this. I think ultimately what you need to do is you need term limits for members of Congress. You need a balanced budget amendment for the Constitution, and you need to give the president line item veto authority because I have that as governor. I can take out spending. So if they're putting spending in, like, that's going to transgenderism in Bangladesh and a spending bill, take it out and veto it. Uh, so those structural reforms, I think, would help us get on a better fiscal path. Why are you the better candidate and alternative to Donald Trump? I mean, th this is an unusual election cycle. you got a guy that wins in 16, doesn't win in 20, running again in 24. That complicates even my world as a radio show host. But what makes you the best candidate to carry the Republican banner uh, in our 2024 presidential election? 
I've proven that I'm willing to fight for people. And I'll give Donald Trump credit. He would get in fights, but I've proven I can win for people. And, and Donald Trump would not win when, when we need it. Yes, he won in 16, but we've been losing elections since then. Uh, he was not able to build the border walls promised. He was not able to drain the swamp. And he promised to eliminate the debt, but he added $7.8 trillion to the debt. I have fought these fights and won and delivered victories. That's what I'll do as president. I'm not going in there just for a title. I'm going in there to deliver deliver those results. And then finally, I've shown an ability to lead. I don't worry about what a poll says. I don't worry about which way the wind's blowing. I know where true north is. And when you're leading in this country, uh, the left's not going to like it. The media's not going to like it. They're going to come at you. But I'll take the hits. I'll take the blows. People can attack me because it's ultimately not about me. It's about you, and it's about the future of this country. Uh, so I'll be able to do it. I'll also be able to serve two terms. Uh, I'm more likely to get elected than Donald Trump. I won Florida by a record margin, 20 points. Um, Donald Trump won it just by a couple points when, when he was on the ballot in Florida. And I would argue Florida is a microcosm of the country. We have people from all across the country that come there. You can win in Florida. You can win anywhere. Also, I don't think Donald Trump will be able to get the personnel necessary to actually hold the swamp accountable. I'll be able to attract the good personnel because you can have a good president. You can make good decisions. You need a whole bunch of people around you that are going to discipline this bureaucracy. And I'll have hundreds and hundreds of people uh, ready to go. And I think being able to serve two terms is also very important. You know, Donald Trump, he did a lot of good policies. Biden came in and reversed almost every one of them on day one. Uh, it can't just be executive orders. You need to do this over an eight-year period. You need to get this stuff to stick. Ronald Reagan, when he served two terms, his legacy extended far beyond those two terms because he did things that, that were there for the, for the long haul. Uh, you need a two-term president. I think if Trump were to get elected, and I don't think he, he can get elected in this country, the Democrats haven't even started on him yet. You wait. If he gets the nomination, it is going to be wall-to-wall with all this stuff. And, and honestly, it's, it's sad that they would do it, but I think it will work with swing voters. Um, but let's just say he gets in. He's a lame duck on day one. Uh, I don't think you can wield power effectively as a lame duck on day one. I think we need a two-term president. How can someone, our fellow South Carolinians, support your candidacy for president? Uh, you can text five one two three four five the the word freedom to five one two three four five or you can go to rondesantis dot com rondesantis dot com and we'd love to have your support. Governor, thank you for your time. Have a great day, sir. God bless. See ya, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, of Florida and current, I guess, um, first alternative to Donald Trump in the Republican primary. I think the most compelling case he makes is someone running as a change agent but didn't really change much and and he's arguing that you know i ran as a change agent and i've actually changed some things in florida i mean you play the hand you're dealt and it sounds to me dr bolt that's probably the best hand he can play i think the argument's about uh, the, the term limits and the being able to do more and being able to attract more oh, hadn't heard those were a good job explaining that makes uh, broadness his appeal for sure and and then rev you've often said that he's your second favorite candidate and you wish he waited and given you the opportunity to um and to, to kind of give him the the I don't know the the keys to the liquor cabinet come twenty twenty eight and um and you know I mean in a perfect world if you're an America firster and if we had more time with him I would have loved to kind of go down that road with him what does it mean to be an America firster um you know have you interacted with many America firsters America first is a concept I mean it's it's uh it, it's something that is being molded and shaped. Uh, as we speak, political movements 
aren't overnight phenomenons. I mean, the the, the populist energy is, is very immediate, but the building of a of a of an agenda and a platform and a way of governing is is almost generational. And, and I've I've said before, you know, if we believe that Trump getting elected means Washington is forever changed, you, you'll find out the hard way that. Washington ain't up to be changed in one election cycle. Old habits die hard. Yeah, yeah. and then and, and these old habits. But, I mean, I thought he acquitted himself well. Oh, yeah. uh, very respectful of Trump. I mean, yeah, I didn't hear, and, and that's the fine line he has to walk. Sure. Where, where, yeah. where are the Republican voters now? He's trying to you know create a little contrast, obviously. Um, but, you know, I still have, have said all along, my, my dream was the, if they could have gotten together and teamed up, I think that would have probably been better for the country. But I still think he's probably the best governor in the country, and he's doing a great job, and the points he made here uh, I think are well made. But but his problem is, it's easy for me to say now that he's not on the phone, <laughs> I mean, his problem is he's not a very entertaining guy. And we live in an era. Yeah. If you yeah. think about our, our two last presidents, and I'm not even cotton Biden because, you know, Obama's still the president, but but you've got very entertaining and, and charismatic personalities in different ways, but there's no doubt about it. Trump and and and, uh, and Obama are different sorts of, of political animals, but they're very entertaining yeah. creatures. Uh, I catch myself when Obama's speaking, not being able to turn the channel. I mean, I want to hear what he has to say. Scares the you. daylights out of him, and I think <laughs> right. he's the most radical president we've ever had. But but there's something about uh, human intuition. I, I want to hear what he has to say. Yeah. Same thing yeah. with Trump. I mean, I know there are people out there that despise Trump, but they catch themselves turning the volume up. Oh yeah, well, you, you can't turn it off. Yeah, what, what's, what's this TV. crazy guy going to say next? <laughs> what's, and, what's coming out next? Yes. And, and what he gets away with? And I think you'll agree, Doctor Bolt, that I'm not saying he's not charismatic, but he's not. <sighs> the sparkle isn't there. He's, 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 he's a technocrat. Again, I mean, that's something you can kind of you can kind of grow into that. Yeah, that's something. And he he's right on the policy. He knows the issues. Uh, I mean, he knows the frontwards and backwards. And so yeah, again, that's something that yeah, a couple of slick media consultants can kind of. Smooth out those rough edges for sure. You know, and, and Dr. Bolt, <laughs> Rev has a, kind of an interesting position because he's my, I mean, he's my case study. And I, and I mean that sincerely. <laughs> no, Rev, Rev, I've never heard him say anything negative about Ron DeSantis. But but he says, yeah. I feel like I owe Trump. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I feel like Trump ran in 16 and 1. He ran in 20. Some question the outcome of the election. But but Rev says, I can't abandon him now. I mean, maybe we do need a two-term, you know, America firster. But I can't abandon Trump That's right. after old, all he's gone through. The old line, right? When you go to the dance, the prom, you, you dance with the girl that you brought. And so for many, Trump was their their first love, their first guy. And as long as he's got a heartbeat, I can't. I'm going to stand by stand by my man. I'm not going to kick this guy to the. DeSanta is that kind of very very attractive girl off in the corner, but you know the she's not the one that you brought. Yeah, I, I didn't come with her. You know what I mean? So I've got to stay with the one that I came with. And, and, and there is and, something there is something for loyalty. Uh, sure, in politics. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump loves loyalty, but it, it's, it's good. kind of a one-way street with him. But I mean, he, he's a big fan of loyalty, right, Rev? It appears. Yeah. Yes, it appears. So. It, it's a good problem to have, though. It's like, all right, this is my guy, Trump's my guy. But if something happens, it's a pretty good fallback waiting in the wings. Yeah, and again, my, my perfect scenario, if I could have written it, would have been, you know, they team up. DeSantis is the VP for Trump. They run, they win, and then DeSantis runs in twenty-eight. Yeah, yeah. but we don't live in a perfect world, no, do we? Didn't work out that What's way. What's in my left hand, Josh? The perfect world. What's in my right hand? <laughs> the real, the real, world. the real messy world that we all exist in, and do the best we can to get from daylight to dark, and daylight to dark, and daylight to dark, and daylight to dark. Take a break, Dr. Will Bolt, History Chair, Francis Marion University, guys. is with us. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
So it's hard for us to do, but let's be rational Republicans because <laughs> rational and Republican normally don't don't exist uh, in the same sentence. I mean, it, you heard of a competent and qualified man um, kind of talk a little bit about why he wants to be the president. Nowhere near as entertaining as Trump. Nowhere near as outspoken as Trump. Someone who appeared, by the way, uh, early on to be the heir apparent to America first, and he could carry that mantle past Trump whenever if, that is. But if we were doing a podcast, I don't want to get into the weeds with him on America first, uh, globalism, interventionism, China. I mean, th- those are the drivers on this. Um, where do you stand on the relationship America has with China? I mean, there's a 20-minute answer there. I don't need all 20 minutes, but I need more than 30 seconds. Yeah. I, mean, that's the un- I mean, it's not unfortunate, but it makes it hard to really go down the road of, hey, explain where you stand on debt. Okay, uh, 30 seconds. Yeah. I, mean, you, I mean, really? I mean, come on, man. Yeah, I mean, you got to yeah. give a guy uh, more time than that. But I've gotten one, two, three. I've got three texts since the DeSantis saying I was a Trump voter, but 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 I'm convinced the smart thing to do, maybe to give this uh, this DeSantis guy a a deeper look. Interesting. M- more yeah. more of a shot. Um, well, I mean that's what he's on the radio to do. Convince <laughs> the it, Trump. He can do math. I mean, he he knows 58% is more than 17%, but he gets that much. But I wonder if he has come across, you know, to the listeners better because he's been criticized about how he's come across in debates and some of these, you know, campaign events that he's not a very good campaigner. And I wonder if there's a difference when you hear him just, you know, basically one-on-one on on the phone with, with the listeners, okay, and you get that kind of response. That's very interesting to me. But, but it's, it's interesting. And as somebody who's run for office before, You've got you've got not so good candidates, but really good office holders, and then you've got not so good office holders, but really good candidates. Yeah. I mean, it's almost. I mean, it really and truly is. It's a little bit like um, the defensive back that blows everybody away on the um, at the combines, and you think he ought to be a receiver until he drops three passes in a row, and you say, "Well, I'll see why he doesn't play receiver now." There's a reason he's playing DB. Um, and and DeSantis appears to me to be. Uh, a very a very astute politician, a very knowledgeable politician, but he tries too hard on the campaign trail, and it comes across as awkward. Doctor Bolt, I I think that's a fair a fair criticism to level at the guy, but I I, th- I think he's he's starting to trend up now, and so if if he's going to make a stand, would he, he doesn't have to win South Carolina, but what would you say? I mean, thirty five percent is kind of, is kind of good enough yeah. to get a, a, a nice little bump and say, hey, I'm I'm viable. There's some chinks in the armor. Of President Trump, so I think it's this would just just kind of survive, maybe to fight another day. And he's, he's still got some time. We're still, but but the off. truth is, guys, and, and let's let's stop fooling ourselves here. I mean, we're trying to fill time. The truth <laughs> is, I mean, Trump has such an intense base. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, it's you said sticking with. I mean, it's, it's uh, you, you, you better believe it. Um, rob a bank, so what? You know, <laughs> run over so, so what? Shoot somebody in Times Square. He even said that. So what? Now yeah. I don't know what that number is. I mean, I speculate it's somewhere around thirty percent. I mean, I think there Maybe are 30% more. of Americans in the Republican Party, that would be a fair way to say it, 30% of Republicans Probably that more. under no circumstance would vote for somebody not yeah. named Donald Trump. Um, at, I, at least. Yeah, at I, least. Maybe even maybe north of that number now. It, it may be. I mean, it may be 35-ish percent now. So DeSantis has to figure out yeah. a way, as Haley does, how do I, I mean, if they're, if they're battling for alternative number one, I mean, you got Trump, he's the 800-pound gorilla. And then you've got this... Yeah, really. um, this 50% of the electorate that are not sold on Trump. 
and in the varying degrees, that 50%. Let's say Trump's at half. I mean, let's say half the Republican Party today have decided that we're going. Some gave up. I mean, I've got some friends of mine who aren't crazy about Trump, but they've kind of given in to the reality. Yeah. They're, they're almost like, hey, he's going to win, so why not go ahead and sign up now? Yeah, um, I mean, I've got some people like that, but yeah. that, that's the conundrum. I yeah, mean, that, yeah. that's the conundrum that Haley finds herself in and DeSantis finds himself in. Um, you got to get to 35. But it's, it's a lot easier now because more and more of these guys, candidates, are falling by the wayside. Yeah, but, I mean, here's what I'll say, Dr. Bolt. I would imagine that more Tim Scott voters go to Trump Probably, yeah. than they do DeSantis or Haley, or at least they're equally divided yeah. between those three. The only uh, – you could you could argue Chris Christie voters will go to Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, but there's only 12 well, in the, the country. Number? Exactly. I mean, yeah. you know, you've got one per two states in the country that call themselves Not a big Chris Christie vote. voters. Yeah. Uh, boy, it'll be a big day when Asa Hutchinson gets out of this race. <laughs> oh. And that 0.6 of 1%, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that'll shake Trump world to the core. Oh, yeah. The day Asa Hutchinson stands up and endorses Nikki Haley. <laughs> He's still in it. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Orange man, you know, you're talking about orange man having a bad day. But when Asa Hutchinson, a big Chris, um, and whoever thought it was a good idea to take a picture of Chris Christie with a bulletproof vest in, in Israel, I'm thinking to myself, why does a guy polling at 2% go to Israel anyway? I mean, he, he didn't have anything else to do, I guess. I mean, you know, no, nobody in America's paying him any attention except CNN and MSNBC. And, and apparently Chris believes that's why you win the hearts and minds and souls of the Republican bases to go on, on CNN. But Trump has all this so goofed up that people don't know which side is no, up. They're, they're throwing anything at the wall. Maybe they'll stick. You know, maybe I'll. And Chris, you kind of look like you remember Dukakis in, in 88 when he was bouncing around in the tank, <laughs> in the tank. And, and right and sort of sabotaging if, if he even had a chance. <laughs> By that point, but again, right? You, when you're desperate, men do do desperate things at desperate times, and so I I, I think they're all just the the strategy is just hope that he's incarcerated, you know, hope that he's ineligible to run, and that maybe if it's and then I'm the guy that's next in line, and probably not the best of strategies. You know. Could DeSantis at some point in time get out and endorse Trump? Mm. I, if if he's I mean, if he's playing right. the long game, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if he's thinking about twenty eight, thirty two, that's the way. I mean, he's a young enough guy, still young. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he's going to have more bites of the apple. I mean, at some point in time, you're going to have to deal with reality. Every political candidate does, and could get Trump's whatever happens in the next presidential election. If he could do that, and then get gets Trump's support yeah. going forward, and kind of the handoff, and he's and and. But, and again, Trump endorses but, but, whatever that is. But but that's that's the conundrum. Well, there's another conundrum. I mean, Trump and conundrums. I mean, they almost mean one. <laughs> yeah. They almost mean mean the same thing. What makes you believe that Donald Trump is going to support anybody after yeah. him? Well, if he wants to set up a legacy, but I mean, his legacy is his legacy, right? Yeah. I mean, they, there's no way Trump trusts anybody. He wants to lead to the carry vacuum. On. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's exactly right. He yeah. would rather. He would rather the the GOP lose after he wins right. yep. to show me. you can't do it without and me. And you'll miss me I mean, when that, I'm gone. That, that, that's yep. that's his problem. Right. Yep. And, yeah. and you and I agree there, and I think Dr. Bolt will agree. The, I mean, he, he's an egotistical narcissist, right? But he's in a world of egotistical narcissists. I mean, he's not <laughs> the, the only right, one. in the right place. Yeah, I mean, no. you better believe it. I mean, he just happens to be uh, a little better at being an egotistical narcissist <laughs> than everybody else in, in that world. But But I think that's the reason that some people who accept and embrace his policies find him unacceptable because he doesn't care about anything but himself. That's a good. One. And I, I think, as you said before, every president, a two-term president, 
wants their vice president, their hand-picked successor, to win that next president. I don't think Trump is going to lose any He would rather that person that. lose. <laughs> right. right, unless he's can't do it without He one. would yeah. rather his vice president run with him in 24 and win and then lose in 28 and because he doesn't come in. Well, I told you, I mean, this has been me. I mean, it's all about me. And that's just, I just think that's a, a mortal blind spot that eventually will be his, I don't want to say fatal flaw, but, but will cause, I mean, if we put as much stock in him as we do America first, we're going to be let down by him quicker than we will America first. And I don't think you can do, and I'm, I'm, I'm a Trump supporter, 100% Trump supporter now that Tim's out of the race. But I think you've got to accept that human frailty is reality. I think, yeah, but it's still at the end of the day, though. It's his to lose mm-hmm. at this point. No matter what he doesn't matter what the other guys say. Or that was a very, very thought-provoking interview. He, he, he hit it out of the park. Is it going to move the needle? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. And I think Dr. Bolt wonders why you didn't ask Ron DeSantis his position on Andrew Jackson. Well, I mean, I would have gotten to that. We'll do that in a podcast. (laughs) We we can lure him back to South Carolina. That's that's a 30-minute question right right. now. That's exactly right. And he's probably, well, Trump will say, who? (laughs) (laughs) Who was that? Uh, One of those early guys I see in the hall when I walk down uh, the West Wing. Yeah, one one of those guys that came a long time. He's not a painting. Those portrait guys. Thank you, Dr. Bolt. Have a good week, guys. We'll Thanks. take a break. We'll be back in a few. 843-661-0937. Despite being a huge Springsteen fan, it's obvious the Eagles wrote the soundtrack to my life and generation. I mean, you're yep. nodding your head. Oh, I absolutely. Mean, you'd be a bigger McCartney fan. I'm right. a Springsteen fan. Right. I give Springsteen and McCartney their due. Obviously, they deserve all. They're rock and roll icons. One was a member of the Beatles. One has had a long and historic uh, rock and roll band and, and concert touring career. But if you're born in the late fifties, early sixties or mid sixties in your case, yeah, right, Rev? Yeah. uh, the Eagles wrote the song track to your life. Uh, if you are musically inclined, if you don't care about music and you grew up in one of those weird neighborhoods where anyway, I, I'll leave that. I'll leave that alone. We had a few of those in, um, in my part of the country, uh, <laughs> just a little bit, a little bit of a societal outcast. Uh, just, just leave it there. I uh, want, want to go back to this because Jeff was talking about Jenna Ellis meeting with, um, I guess, the prosecution side. And I've not heard this, but I'm not afraid of it. I'm so unafraid of it. I'll play it and let everybody hear it along with me if, for the first time. If Jeff time. was promoting it, I have an idea that it must be somewhat well, I mean, incriminating well, to Donald it's Trump. It's an ABC News exclusive. That's all you got to know. It's an ABC either. News exclusive. But, but you know, it's I mean, it's, it's a woman that Trump employed i mean it's ex-trump attorney jenna ellis and i mean she's coming clean uh, so she says and telling uh the investigative team on the other side um i guess you'd be a turncoat in some way shape or form but imagine that um being disloyal to trump because he was disloyal to you let's play this i've not heard it and i don't know what all is included i gotta believe because it's an abc news exclusive home of jonathan carl that it's not going to paint trump in a positive light but let's um let's all learn what she had to say together. You ready, Josh? And uh, at the time uh, period where they were going to start to discuss what was uh, Dan Scavino's role. At the time, I believe his title was social media director for the White House. It became deputy chief of staff um, at the time that the conversation in question took place. Okay, and when was that? The conversation was around December 19th of 2020 uh, at the White House Christmas party. And I uh, emphasized him, I thought that the, um, the, the claims and the ability to challenge 
uh, the election results was essentially over because he said um, to me in a kind of excited tone, well, we don't care and we're not going to leave. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the boss, meaning President Trump and everyone understood the boss. Um, that's what we all called him. Um, he said the boss uh, is not going to leave under any circumstances. We are just going to stay in power. And I said to him, well, it doesn't quite work that way, you realize. And he said, we don't care. But he did leave, didn't he? Yep. Didn't Biden the president? Yep. On scheduled inauguration day. Sure. And and, and the thing that, that, I mean, the first reaction I have is the boss is the boss, but the big guy's not the big guy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously the boss is, right? I mean, everybody knows it's Trump. Josh, yeah. who's the boss? I mean, who's she referring to when she says the boss? Trump. Okay. Rev? Absolutely Okay, we're, we're all three Trump voters. We'll, we'll agree that the boss is Donald Trump. Sure. But there's this ambiguity about who the big guy yeah. is. You know, the media can't quite discern who the big guy. For the big I mean, guy. it's obvious who the boss is. The boss is Trump. Even the Republicans know that. The boss is Trump. But the big guy, well, I mean, the big guy could be, you know, that, that seven-foot center from the Miami Heat. <laughs> or it could be that offensive lineman from the Chicago Maybe Bears. Maybe Andre the Giant. Yeah, it could be Andre the Giant. You're right. It could be Bam Bam Bigelow. I mean, it could be, it's no telling who the big guy is. The media leads you to believe um, I mean, we just heard 59 seconds of a an ex-Trump attorney coming clean and, and saying that we're not leaving here, but he did. He did leave there, didn't he? I mean, I know we had a rambunctious crowd show up on January 6th, armed and daint. Oh, I'm sorry. They weren't armed. That's there right. was no gun That's charges right. there and no insurrection charges. Um, exactly. But they're rotting in prison for the rest of their lives for challenging the authority and might of our federal government. I mean, that, I get it. I mean, you know, you would probably rather that information not be publicly available. But does it concern Trump voters that an ex-Trump attorney met with the prosecution and said the big guys are the ball sitting? I'm no, sorry, she the big said guy. Because we social... don't know who the big guy is. Right. we got to be careful about using yeah, the careful. word big right. guy. Right. Because that, that's that center from the Miami Heat or that offensive tackle. It could be that sumo wrestler. But remember, she said what the social media director for the White House said that the boss said. Isn't yeah. that what she just That's, that's pretty claimed? much what she said. Yeah. You know, and we all knew who the big guy was. I mean, once again, you would probably rather that information not be publicly available. But do you believe that the Trump voter or the Republican voter, primary in particular, care at all what ABC News exclusive says about a proffer? And that's the word P-R-O-F-F-E-R. That's when... You're kind of gathering information or evidence as part of your, um, I guess, a proposal you make at some point in time to, to the defense in regards to a settlement or some plea agreement. Uh, I think this is part of the process to eventually get to a – it's the way the sausage is made in our, in our legal system. Um, and Jonathan Carl wrote a book and Trump recorded Carl and Carl said something. But there's nothing incriminating there. He left. I mean, he peacefully left office, didn't he? I mean, he didn't go to the inauguration, but he left office. I mean, didn't Joe Biden get inaugurated and installed as the president of the United States? So what are we talking about here? It's it's a political right. persecution. It's a witch hunt. And every time one of these nuggets of information are made more available, the intensity level of support of Donald Trump increases. You, you know who loses when these sorts of things are made public? Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. I mean, if I'm Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, I don't want any more of this. I mean, I want the guy to be left alone because when you leave him alone, 
there, there, there's some enthusiasm that wanes. But if you start attacking again, the, the intensity builds. I mean, it's, it's you know, the 50% turns into 53%. I don't know how many people in my world have told me over and over and over again that they kind of sort of want to vote for somebody else. But the, medias and, the media and liberals won't let them. I mean, I do believe that. Right. I think there are 20% of Republicans that believe it's in all of our best interest to move past Trump. Thank and congratulate Donald Trump for doing the unthinkable. I mean, he ran against the biggest machine man has ever known in 16. He won. They tried to kneecap him when he got there. And he, he just kind of, I mean, he, for some crazy reason, he's almost like the cockroach in the ice age. I mean, you can't get rid of him. You can't kill him. You can't, you know, rid yourself of his of his force. And I, I believe that 20% of Republican voters under some circumstance believe it's best to kind of move on and find another America firster. Now, I don't believe there's but a few that want to move on from America first. It would be even fewer if you're not directly involved or employed with a military-industrial um, complex. That that would be kind of that universe. I mean, that's a that's an important universe. A lot of money, a lot of money in that universe. The donor class, uh, the consultant strategist class, the military-industrial complex. I mean, obviously they've never embraced Trump, but but we know that the majority of Americans, the majority of conservative Americans now favor America first over what I'll call the neoconservative agenda of the last 25 or 30 years. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you can argue, is it 58? Is it 62? Is it 64? I mean, I think it's two and three. I mean, I think if you really sit down and say, do you favor this policy or this policy, this policy or this policy? I think the majority of Americans who vote Republican, whether they know this or not, they're far more America first than they think they are. I mean, they, they feel like they're insulting Reagan and the legacy of Reagan and the Bushes. Some I mean, of they kind of like George W. Bush and H.W. was a decorated veteran. And I don't want to throw those guys under the bus. And I feel like if I'm, I'm kind of, you know, staking my claim to America first, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm divesting myself of the interest I had in, in that political. I kind of don't want to do that. I, I'll, I'll be, I'll have a foot in each camp. But I think if you ask six or eight questions and they honestly answer those questions, that they would be far more America firsters. Uh, than they are. I'll tell you an interesting number, 22%. And that number is maintained. That's the number of African-Americans that seem to have no interest in supporting Joe Biden. I didn't say they're Trump voters. I didn't say they've um, they've seen the glory and coming to the Republican side, but 22% of African-Americans have no interest at all in voting for Joe Biden. He lost 9% of the vote, the African-American vote in 2020. That's a, that's a, that's a troubling number if you're Biden, now, I don't know if that's reflective of generic Democrats, but Biden has a big problem. You know why Biden has a big problem with black voters? Because there's not a price in the grocery store for black people buying groceries and white people buying groceries and Hispanic people buying groceries and financing a home. It's not, hey, stand in this line if you're if you're black, this line if you're Hispanic, this line if you're a white dude or a woman. No. Uh, hey, that gas pump's for white people. That's that price. Here's the price for black people and Hispanic people. No, inflation knows no socioeconomic or racial bounds. It's across the board. And Biden sucks. And Bidenomics suck. And people know that. But you're convincing, you're trying to convince me that what Jenna Ellis says and some proffer matters more than the price of groceries and the cost of living and the cost of financing a home 
for a new homeowner? No. The absurdity of that. Let's go to the phone, and then we'll take a break. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. Actually, what I think is Trump used a management skill that politicians know nothing about. He was trying to find out who he can trust in the future. And Jenna Ellis failed that test completely. You know, you, you throw something out there that's so wild that only maybe two people know or three people know. And then, you know, later on in a management thing, when things look bad, this comes out so you know who it came from. Now, they they love advertising it. Yeah, it's Jenna Ellis. But she was told something in confidentiality that did not happen. So that means to me that it was a, a thrown-out thing to see who's loyal. And he found out she's not loyal at all. But, you know, Jeff and them talk about things that Trump wants to do. I look at things the Democrats actually do. You know, they just put a guy in jail for a meme that he put out during the 2016 election saying vote for Hillary at 212-whatever, you know, text so you don't have to stand in line. It was a meme, a joke. The guy's a satirist. And they locked him up for seven months. So we've lost freedom of speech. They locked a 75-year-old woman up for walking in the Capitol and turning around and walking back out, and she had cancer. She couldn't get her cancer treatment. Now we've got Congress, you know, and I'm torn on this because of my, my love of freedom of speech. They just censored. Uh, who uh, one of the, the squad for talking against Israel. Well, that's part of our free speech. It's not speech we agree with. It's speech we disagree with. That's what's so great about this country. We're allowed to share our opinions. I would rather know where someone's coming from than to shut them up and then get stabbed in the back. So all these people, these hypothetical things that Trump, Trump's Hitler, he's going to lock these people up. What did he do to Hillary Clinton? The whole time he campaigned, what was the saying on his rally? Lock her up. Lock her up. I mean, he had a ball with that. Did he lock her up? No. You know, they keep talking about how Trump's going to do this and Trump's going to do that. <laughs> Trump cost himself, I think, the the two senators in Georgia because he said it was all rigged after the, the election. They had the special election, and the Democrats wanted to start voting early. And Trump said, no, nah, I, I wouldn't even participate in that. And I'll guarantee you a bunch of people took him at his word and didn't show up to vote, and we lost those two seats. Trump needs to control because he's not a politician. He's a 
a different mindset and and people take him literally instead of generally y'all have a good one thank you joe appreciate that 843-661-0937 let's take a break we'll be back on the other side got a caller we'll get there as soon as we get back you know, you, you think about what would drive a wedge between Trump and his voters. I mean, if he's at 56 or 7%, not in every state, but some of the reddest states, he's at about 56 or 7%. I would imagine in South Carolina, he's 60-ish, thereabout. Um, in Iowa, he's at 45. I think Haley and DeSantis both are at about 16 or, or 17 each. But you begin to really contemplate, is there anything that drives a wedge? I mean, you and I have talked about one scenario. I mean, if Trump mishandled classified information and purposefully allowed that information to make its hands into foreign agents or enemies of the United States, that would concern me. I mean, there, there's no evidence of that. But, but if, I mean, if that was the case, if, in other words, the Trump organization had in possession classified information and they intentionally allowed that classified information to make its way in some sort of enemy combatant. I mean, that, that would be alarming. That would be concerning. But what Jenna Ellis says in a, in a proffer, which is kind of sort of like a, um, a deposition, but I mean, that means nothing to me. Uh, and I think I'm decent. I mean, I, I think I'm fairly moral and ethical, but that doesn't bother me. Uh, she said that somebody told her that Trump told them they weren't leaving. <laughs> right. The boss, and everybody knew who the boss was. Everybody knows who the boss is. Nobody knows who the big guy is. That's just kind of interesting uh, to me. And once again, he left. I mean, he left the White House no matter what the media uh, may say. Anyway, the media. I'm bad about the media <laughs> and Trump. Um, the latest revelation in the Republican primary is uh, kind of personal to me. Tim Scott was a candidate for lieutenant governor. When I got elected lieutenant governor, not talked to Tim since he got out of the race, but he's the last candidate to drop out of the GOP race. Does that kind of um, does that shuffle the deck chairs uh, in the GOP field? Uh, Tim was polling at about four or five percent. I don't know where his voters go. There's speculation that some will go here, some will go there. Um, it's kind of interesting. After Tim Scott announces he's not in the race any longer, rumors begin circulating that Donald Trump will be at the South Carolina Clemson football game uh, next Saturday. I would argue that's to antagonize our former governor, Nikki Haley, and maybe upstage her in her home state. Fox News Radio's Jared Halpern may have more information than I do. Jared, good morning. How are you? Well, I didn't know about the, the tailgate there with the former president, but that's uh, on brand, I think. He's done a few of those college football events over the last <laughs> couple of months. Yeah, and, and one of the first endorsements Trump received was from South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster in yeah. South Carolina is a pivotal state in the Republican first in the South, yeah. I think is what we're, we're known is, as. Yeah. Um, but, but what the do you Democrats make of Scott getting out of the overall. race? Yeah. Jared, what do you so make of Scott Democrats getting out? Carolina is going to be first overall. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I think uh, Congressman Clyburn for that. Um, you know, listen, I think when you, you look at one, it was a little surprising. I think the timing for, for uh, Senator Scott, only because he had, just participated in the debate. He had a lot of resources and staff kind of already um, in Iowa. That was going to be where his campaign was sort of make or break. Um, he was uh, appealing to uh, more social conservatives to kind of hope that he was going to surprise some folks in Iowa. I think, listen, when the path dries up and the money dries up, it's hard to move forward. 
Um, notable that he chose to announce that on uh, Trey Gowdy's show on Fox News Channel. The two of them, as you know, are very close, very good friends. Um, and so, you know, even uh, Trey Gowdy looked uh, a bit surprised by the announcement, which I think speaks to maybe how quickly um, and how small a circle uh, the senator had in, in deciding to, to suspend his campaign. I will be curious to see where that, to your point, support goes, because obviously one of the criticisms that Republicans face in 2015, 2016, is that that Republican field did not consolidate quickly enough, and it left a, a easier path for, for somebody like Trump to get nominated. That's been one of the criticisms this time around. The only way that anybody's going to be able to catch Donald Trump is if it becomes sort of a, a two-person or three-person race. We're starting to get closer to that. And, and so does this kind of speak to that um, dynamic? In other words, does this support in this money that was going to Scott go to somebody who is not Donald Trump, or does it go to Donald Trump and kind of show that, you know, there's really not a path for anybody else to, to put a, a, a sizable challenge on his lead. That's well explained, Jared. Thank you for your time. I okay. may send you some of the uh, rumor milling. I'll send it to Josh. May get it in your hands. Some of the, um, there's a guy here locally that does a pretty good job of breaking news that appears to be rumors and, uh, and I'll try to get it in your hands, but yeah, there's a report out early this morning that Donald Trump is going to be a guest of Henry McMaster and attend the Carolina Clemson football game. It's kind of a big there deal uh, here. And uh, and I, w- I would imagine upstaging Nikki Haley is something he would very much enjoy knowing his personality. <laughs> That's on brand, yeah. <laughs> Good deal. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate it, my man. Take care. And, uh, I mean, it's just it's Trump. I mean, it's who he is. He's not changing. You know, I love these people that say, man, I would like him more but, or I'd like him more if. Or I'd, well, I mean, he is what he is. And you take it. I mean, he's an older guy. He's a wealthy man. Uh, I, I got to believe that he's inevitably going to be who he is, and you're not going to change him. I'm not going to change him, and I'm not sure he's as effective and authentic if we do try try and change him. I mean, I, I just remember, and I know we've we've uh, we plowed this field before. It's it's the handful of things he said leading up to the 16 election that as a former candidate, I knew you couldn't get away with. Yeah, he said, it's over. That's I, mean, I, I, I would sit down in the morning that. and Rev said, did you know what Trump? I said, yeah, he's done. You can't do that. You just can't say that. You can't do that. You, you got to come back and apologize and cover your tracks and, you know, put a machine in place to damage control. And he just plowed through that like nobody's business. And, and I just knew. I mean, I said, okay, this is a, a, one of the rare moments in American history that the electorate will allow this candidate to be whatever he chooses because he's not the others. And and I still believe that Trump thinks this is more about him than it is the frustration and resentment. That's the word I've kind of used a lot, the resentment that average Americans have at the political apparatus. That He's, he's an embodiment of that. He's a symbol of that. He's a, a manifestation of all that energy and resentment that people have about the two-tier justice system and the double standard, income inequality. I mean, there's so much to chew on in the um in the blood and guts of that of that issue. But I know as a candidate, I mean, and I always thought I was a pretty decent candidate, but but I, I just remember at least half dozen times him saying things and I'm going like, you can't say that. I mean you just can't you gotta come back and clean that up now. And he didn't. And you would check the polls and his numbers <laughs> would up. increase. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? You can't do that. That, that, uh, that, that is very much uh, what makes 
him him. I mean, because he, he was so against the political norm. And like you said, he would say things that would pretty much tank anybody else's campaign. Wait, right? Rev, in the weirdest way, he's Steve Spurrier. Explain that. I mean, he just says things that you're like, why did you say that? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's the way I feel. And, and I just think, I mean, it, we could play the audio Spurrier after the game. You know, the, the great interviews he gives after the game. Yeah. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I mean, wow, man. I mean, why say that? Why chastise your team and your coaches and, and your fans at times? I mean, why would you go down that road? Well, I mean, it's the way he felt. It, it, it's what was on his mind. It was what was his heart. And he just said it for fear. I mean, for no fear, no fear of consequence. Maybe that's some of the, ah, the subconscious in us. We'd like to be that liberated. I mean, Rev would like yeah. to sit behind this mic and say certain things, but and and I, I've tried to be less guarded, but I have to be somewhat respectful of these monetary and relationships we have that keep the lights on and keep the bills paid. Uh, so, so to some degree, we all have to play a game. Some play the game to an extreme. Some play the game at a, at a very dangerous sort of level. But he just, I mean, and, and I, I think a Spurrier, walk into the beat of your own drum. You know, I've told you before, got a good friend, former Gamecock trustee, current Gamecock trustee, and, and we were talking about Spurrier one day, and he said, nobody knows Steve. I mean, Steve doesn't get close to anybody. He kind of walks to the beat of his own drum. He's an island over there, does his own thing. But but I'll never get him telling me, and I've told Rev this, and I probably told our listeners. Um, he told me one day, he said, you know how there are a lot of people who say they don't care what other people think, but they really do? I don't think Spurrier does. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's one of those rare birds that, Says I don't care what other people think. You know, you know how you know Spurrier doesn't care what other people think because he never says I don't care what other people think. Yeah. I mean, the the, yeah. the, the, the people <laughs> like me that say I don't care what other people think. Well, why do you say it? How many times have you ever Steve Spurrier say I don't care what other people think? How many times have you, you ever Donald say Trump it. say I don't care what other people think? <laughs> it's obvious they don't care. <laughs> they don't have to remind you. Speaks it's for obvious. Itself. Yeah, it's, it's obvious they don't care. What other people think? Let's go to the phone. Charles in Lamar. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. Um, first of all, I want to thank all three of you guys for visiting the Darlington Rotary last uh, Thursday and, and uh, <clears throat> Ken for providing the program. I'm not a member of that club, but I enjoyed visiting that meeting and enjoyed hearing what you had to say. So thank you to all three of you for, for that. <clears throat> I've had a an appointment this morning, so I've been in and out of the car, and I've missed a few things that were said, but I did catch a call before and uh, called in, and Josh said that uh, Jared Halpern was going to call, asked me to call back, so I did. I just want to clarify something um, that one of your callers said. The House of Representatives did not vote to censor uh, Rashida Tlaib. They voted to censure Rashida Tlaib. They did not tell her she can't speak her mind. You're being censored. You can't say what you want to say. They censured her, which means they have expressed extreme displeasure and dislike of what she said, but they've made no effort to silence her from exercising her First Amendment rights of free speech. And I thought that was just an important point that got missed. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate that. Eight four three. Yeah, that's yeah. important. You. Thank an important distinction there. Yeah, and I think Charles um, did not go planning to introduce us. 
had the meeting and uh and kind of got, got a little bit off guard there yeah uh, and thanks but, for the invite too well i mean charles has invited us to a couple of things uh, for the record when when i argued one day when i pointed out one day that i felt we were sliding our clemson fans and i mean that sincerely i'm a gamecock rev's a gamecock um i'm a lifer he's kind of a um a johnny come lately but once you drink the garnet kool-aid it's hard to oh, yeah. not keep drinking the garnet kool-aid um but but I it dawned on us during football season how much we talked about the Gamecocks and didn't about the Tigers, and I think I said over the air we got to do better than that. I mean, well, you know, I, I got to believe that as many. I mean, I know that the Gamecock fan base is not any more or less conservative than the Clemson fan base, and Charles reached out to Rev and recommended Jason Priester. So not only do you guys call in and help during the broadcast, you've helped kind of assimilate or assemble some of what we um mm-hmm. do on the air here. And, I mean, I've got a few people who say, you guys talk too much football. Ah, 20 hours a week and, what, 20 minutes of the 20 hours is spent talking about the game that is a very central issue to South Carolinians. Um, I'm not saying everybody is a football fan. I certainly don't believe that everybody is a loyal Gamecock or Tiger, but Trump – thinks enough of it or believes it's important enough to make a campaign stop in South Carolina. And I tell you that that's going to be cool. I mean, you got, you got the biggest sports day in South Carolina, period. Second ain't close. Forget the heritage, forget Darlington, the Gamecocks and Tigers football Saturday, whether it's in Clemson or Columbia, that is easily the biggest sports day in South Carolina and the former president and maybe future president. I'm going to argue current president is uh, <laughs> is going to be in, in attendance. Uh, I had a buddy of mine that said, well, I mean, I'll, I'll let that be. I had a buddy of mine uh, said that, you know, how is Trump going to be Henry's guest when Henry already thinks he's the president? Uh, and I'm like, Ooh, okay, uh, I'll leave that alone. I'll let you guys settle some of that. Who gets in the box and who doesn't, who gets to um, take a selfie and, and who does it. But um, yeah, th- there's a report and it's kind of interesting. Jared didn't know that. Right. Yeah, Jeff was like, I hadn't heard that. There, there's a report out this morning from a pretty reliable source. I heard a little bit about it last night. Rev and I text one another that um that Trump the Trump campaign reached out to the McMaster um, governor's office and and informed them that they were interested in coming to the South Carolina Clemson football game. Well, let me think about it. The the day or two after Tim Scott gets out of the race, Trump announces. He's coming to the Carolina Clemson game. It's not confirmed, and it's all speculation. We don't know that to be true, but that's simply to upstage Haley. I mean, there is no doubt about that. Now, now the one thing I said this morning, in the true spirit of fairness and making sure Trump doesn't come, um, leading people to believe he's a fan of either team, he's got to do something about that orange tan. (laughs) And I don't know how you address that. I don't know how you get a more garnety tint to that orange tan but Gamecock fans are going to naturally believe that this guy showed up pulling for one team and and not the other. That's just natural color, man. I mean, he can't help. <laughs> Orange man bad. Cheeto Jesus, as we refer to uh, him over the air. Let's go to the phone, and then we'll take our last break. David in the PD. Hello, David. You're on. Hey, Ken, you got a good idea, man. The boss versus the big guy. Maybe we could hold it at the uh, Township Auditorium, maybe the SO Club. You never know uh, there in Clemson. Uh, I'd say about Tim, talk about the right time. Tim's 58 years old, man. And regardless, I guess 
2028. Either the, the boss or the big guy is going to be out of that. So we have a new slate of uh, candidates. And what uh, I think Jeff was talking about, you had Jenna and I guess the cracking lady, they come and clean or whatever on uh, Trump. The way I look at it, I look at Jonathan Carl and they put them all together. I call it a book deal. I don't know. I guess uh, Jonathan Carl's on his second or third book deal on this. So I call it the celebrity uh, the political media. And here is a sucker bet for everybody. What is the most populous city in Florida? The most populous city in populous Florida. city in Florida. Well, I mean, to me, most m- people. Miami's Miami. the obvious answer, but apparently that's probably not it because you would have asked me if that's it was Miami. That's not it. Okay. Jacksonville. Okay. So who is Jacksonville? Who is that named after? Obviously, Andrew Jackson. So there is some uh, history with Andrew Jackson in Florida. There's a lot of history of Andrew Jackson in Florida. So that would be a good podcast. And I'll leave you this, man. Uh, you talk about Seinfeld all the time. And when you brag about Florida, hate to say it, but there's a lot of shuffling of Northeast inflated retirement wealth. That goes to Florida. Nobody talks about that. Seinfeld did. Uh, if you watch some of those episodes, the uh, Boca Vista, and that'll show you some true characters of northern people that moved to less uh, complicated areas like Jack Clopas and this and that. But look at the villages. Look at all that goes on down there in, in Naples and this and that. That's just reshuffled wealth. They're not creating wealth. If you want to see creation of wealth, look at what's going on in China. And we've got that whole Asian Pacific thing going on. We'll talk about that another day. But anyway, if you talk about taking stuff off the ground and actually doing stuff with it and creating wealth, not shuffling the wealth, China's got us beat. Thank you, David. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in just a few. 843-661-0937. Got a few minutes. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Cal in North Carolina. Hey, Cal, you're on the air. It's been a long time. Hey, Dave. Hey, hey, Ken. Hey, Cal. Uh, I've been trying to get through this morning, but I've been getting a mechanical disconnect up here in, on this side of the border. Uh, I want to call and let y'all know that Mary Ann Trump Barry, Donald's uh, older sister, passed away, and uh, that the folks that uh, that are still praying probably ought to pray for Donald Trump. And... Uh, and his kids, because some of them probably having a rough time. And uh, uh, I think the Gamecocks actually got a good chance against Clemson this week, because uh, Clemson's not doing as good as the other ACC games. Yeah, next next week, Cal, Clemson plays North Carolina this week and South Carolina plays Kentucky, and then next week, Saturday after Thanksgiving, is when that rivalry resumes. Yeah, well, I, I wish you good luck against Clemson. Now, I can't say that about North Carolina. That would be uh, – folks would probably be chasing me around town if I, if I said that in public on the radio. True. Good deal. Good deal. In fact, in fact but uh, but uh, I hope you and your families are all doing well down there. I had cold a long time, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next time I come down to South Carolina and check out some of them women with six-inch heels down there. There you did go. You, did there. you catch the? Did you catch the the, the three inch heels comment that uh, Swami says did over the during the debate? Yeah, the interesting part of that, she didn't deny the Cheney part. She just took <laughs> on the six inch heel part. 
Well, the thing was, was that uh, uh, they came to her last. They they asked the question. Uh, all for, all the people on the stage, then they came to her last and tried to change the question. And when she was answering the question, Ramaswamy and Tim Scott stood on the end and were talking while she was answering. And that was about, for Tim Scott to be from South Carolina, that was about the rudest thing I've ever seen. That wasn't exactly Southern gentleman material. And then he, uh, uh, instead of act, answering his question directly, he started talking about Iowa farmers or something or another. And I thought, Tim, man, you just messed it up. But uh, uh, there are folks up on this end of the border that are still looking at uh, at Nikki and the governor of Virginia as a, as a team, or or maybe even the governor of Florida as a, as a team going into it. But uh, but Trump needs our prayers. He already got our support, but he needs our prayers with the, the loss of his sister. And I just thought I'd call and remind folks because the news isn't uh, – a lot of the news isn't getting out there, you know. And she yep. was a, a federal judge for a long for a long time. She actually served the country too. Uh, but anyway, I hope you all have a good uh, have a good week coming up. And I've been thinking about you and uh, just thought I'd try to call and let you know what was going on up on this side of the border. Thank you, Cal. Appreciate that. I haven't heard from Cal in quite a while. Uh, normally in the early hours of our show, we hear from Gal, you hear a rooster in the background. Uh, I think yeah. he's, uh, I think he's a closet gamecock. I know he lives <laughs> in North Carolina, but hearing that rooster in the background reminds me of, uh, Williams Bryce stadium <laughs> when, when the, uh, when the rooster crows, um, but yeah, uh, Godspeed to the Trump family. A loss of life is a loss of life. No matter whose family it may be. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.